allowed Riot Games in 2020 be in any moral position to be investigating anyone about sexual harassment? Look in the fucking mirror for a second, will you? That's unreal, mate. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Side Select. Some grumpy old men talking about esports. I'm your host, Foxtrot, for today uh, and every day. And I'm joined, of course, by Rich and Thorin. As is tradition, I usually ask you guys some culinary-related questions. Um, my question today is going to make you think a little bit. What is the best takeaway to eat the next day? Ooh, I actually like that one as well, because I have to say, that is one thing I do heavily factor into takeaways, because mm -hmm. sometimes you just don't, like... I mean, you, you always know, get a little bit extra it. knowing that you're going to get a... You know, sometimes a I can't lie, it. it can be an excuse to order multiple things you want, where maybe you really yeah. only need one, for sure, yeah. <laughs> I think for me, the obvious one is Chinese. I just mm -hmm. find almost... Most of the Asian types of food seem to be almost as good the next day. I think, if I had to guess, the reason why would be something about, like, all the oil or something. It's, it seems like the flavour actually low-key does get locked in the food. It doesn't disappear when you have it in the fridge. It's still, and, it, and bizarrely, it's still pretty good, even cold. It's actually one of the better ones in that sense. Whereas anyone who's tried eating a kebab the next day knows it transforms like not even into food anymore. You're like, what the fuck is this? Like, holy <laughs> shit. It makes you really disturbed. Like, wait a minute, how can that just be cool when it's like just hot enough, but it's actually like not even recognizable as food when it's not? That's That almost disturbs me a bit. So Chinese yeah. I'm going to go with. It's the classic, but I think it is. I think it's got to be that one. Sure. Fair comment, Rich. So, yeah, I think golden rule when, like, reheating food or anything like that or just eating food the next day, nothing with chips. Like, if you if you ever have oh, chips, chips are like, as well, aren't they? Yeah. they're yeah. doomed, completely doomed. I think yeah. an under... After 10 minutes, mate, when they're, when they're just not really hot, they become kind of shit, don't they? Yeah, as soon as they've gone past that point where they're getting a tiny bit mushy, like, you can never recover yes. that. Like, it's just, it's yes. just doomed at that point. Um, I'd probably say pizza since I found this, like, life hack for pizza because i always felt that like oh like reheating pizza was always overrated as as one of these things of like okay. oh, it's so good the next day but what you do right and i think this actually works for a lot of different things probably but i'm just going to use pizza as an example if you put it in the microwave right which might not be the best way to reheat it i'll admit but i'm lazy and microwaves quick isn't it so if you do put it in the microwave or any food in general in the microwave that you're reheating sprinkle sprinkle yes. water over yes. it and it, it's to, honestly, it's so much better, especially anything yeah, yeah. which has bread. Obviously, pizza typically has a, you know, pretty bready crust or whatever. If you put water over it, it will not dry out nearly as much uh, as if, if you didn't. Because obviously, for people who don't know, microwaves essentially just shake up and cause vibrations of water within the molecules anyway. And that's what heats it up. So if you add loose water to the top of that, then you keep a lot of, uh, yeah, the sustenance that you had the day before. So, yeah, I'll, I'll say pizza for that one. What's weird is, though, like, I notice people nearly always go to pizza anyway, but they're not doing what you're saying. Because I've always found that was the most overrated pizza that yeah, foods have the next day. Because mm. everyone always claims it's pizza. But, like, I think that's just because they're hungover or something. I don't think they're actually enjoying that fucking pizza on day two. Come on. <laughs> Now, until I, until I found that, nice, I, I thought it was massively overrated. Until I found that, like, if I got like a Domino's or like anything from like a classic sort of a chain place, I'd sort of think like, yeah, pizza's great because you can have some later. But then I actually looked and I'm like, nah, actually nah. But yeah, no, if you sprinkle it on, I'd say you get about 75%, 80% of what it tasted like the previous day. Wow. So. Not bad. By the way, so what fine. isn't what isn't great is if you know you're gonna pour pizza on. Okay, here's another tip for you. If you know, like say they get a Domino's or whatever, and you get that nice garlic sauce, put the garlic sauce 
on the bits that you're going to eat then and there because that does not reheat well. In fact, it's probably going right. to come out of your microwave like green, right. lo looking like some alien yeah, sperm yeah. or some shit, and it tastes horrendous. So yeah, don't do that. Put Just put the bits on the bits that you know you're going to eat and then leave the rest because, yeah, the sauces get completely fucked. I've, I've heard if you get a little glass of water, similar to your strategy, and put that in the microwave as well. Just next space to it. permitting. Yeah, yeah, on right. the plate with the, you know, make a little spot for it. It's a, it's a similar thing, again, taking the moisture from the from the glass. I don't know whether it's all snake oil or not, but, um, I, hey, I think it... Yeah, I there's think a logic it to it. Yeah, exactly. I, I Honestly, the ne next day food is... I've got I've got a katsu chicken sitting in my fridge. The only problem um, with that is it. there's another thing that's not quite as good. Anything that's breaded, unfortunately, it'll never be crispy the next day. Yeah. If you put it in the fridge, it's going to go mushy. So that's the one downside as well. Stuff that, like breaded often doesn't carry yeah. off that well, you know. That's why you can't have fish and chips in the other day as well. Like, yeah. It'll be all right, yeah, but it's not going to be fish and chips, is it, you know? It's so disappointing. I actually was so thoroughly upset with the state of chips the next day that I looked up the best way to try and reheat them because they do none. just. Come on, they're just the one tight cardboard. Well, they say they say if you get a frying pan or or, or a saucepan. This is already um, too much effort, by the way. But carry on. Right, um, agreed. If you can't bang it in the microwave, then, okay. then it's too much effort. I mean, I agree with that personally. But if you if you if you reheat it in oil, so you just get like a little layer That's of oil in right. there, okay. and then chuck the chips in that, and basically just cook them till they're warm again. Then apparently that works and that helps. To, like, it might be possible because, to be fair, if people don't know, one of the things I've always thought actually sucks about takeaway places is you don't know what order your order came in, right? So for all you know, if you're the fourth in line, you're just getting reheated chips that they already cooked in the previous batch for the same price and the same money and no choice between them. You just get the bad because you know if you ever go like the worst is obviously when they're just running loads and loads and loads. Sometimes you get the ones that are fully just like they're being cooked like three times and they're just like not there's no, they're just like fucking they just almost like a fucking solid if you know what i mean like they just mm. like crush apart there's no like potato part that's got to be one of the biggest scams in food right there like i say why do i pay the same as it's the same as uber eats mate you know when you order an uber eats then randomly it goes he's got two deliveries before yours well i must be getting a discount then why would why on earth would my order be at the back of the three i never had any choice in this factor just shows how whack the modern world is mate the technology never arrives on this eight will you notice it always arrives like it's never some george jetson shit it's like a george jetson machine that fucks you up your own ass while giving like licking a stamp for you like there's all some shit downside isn't there chips is i actually think chips in general are actually super risky like on the yeah, level that it is fuck if, me. yeah if you go to a restaurant and you order chips like if you haven't been there before like you, it could be anything if you go to just a fucking fast food joint that you've been to a million times it's still a fucking lottery ticket whether yeah, you get yeah, nice chips or bad chips and then if you order takeaway as you said it's the added element of well i know they're usually all right but how well will they yes. be cooked am i the the fifth cunt who's going to get his food on this guy's delivery route and if exactly. so they're literally inedible by the They're time you get them, point. So, it's over. Yeah. yeah i see that sometimes in reviews for takeaway places like oh the food arrived a little bit cold and i'm sitting there thinking that it takes like you know 40 minutes to an hour from when you've ordered to get the food am i the only one who just always bangs it in the microwave anyway before i eat it like for a good like 30 seconds or any anyway because it always just comes a little bit cold like you don't I get should it do that i haven't thought i haven't thought it through but again with chips don't... it doesn't actually work it works with everything apart from chips if oh, you yeah, put it's... chips if you put chips in the microwave and they've already just started turning into that slightly mushy not very nice they're doomed it's over like yeah. unless you do your fucking Gordon Ramsay fried pan oil malarkey, then yeah. Gordon Ramsay what, putting a bit of oil in the pan. Mate, as far, if I'm ordering takeaway, <laughs> anything that involves me reaching yeah. for a piece of apparatus, you True. are Gordon Ramsay. Yes. Definition, yeah, you would, if you were doing that, you wouldn't order the takeaway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it requires washing up at the end, 
in the yeah. reheating process. It wasn't takeaway. Yeah. yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to some esports topics because uh, I'm getting a little bit I'm getting a little bit heated actually. Takeaway sucks. Um, we've got a lot of different games to cover today actually. Uh, we'll start with Counter Strike. Good, love some good old CS:GO, uh, and some unfortunate news for Fnatic who have failed to qualify for. Uh, for the next major, they got knocked out by Eternal Fire, the Turkish side in uh, in the Antwerp qualifiers. Now, it's um it's not looking too hot as a as a big name for Fnatic, and it's uh, it's been almost three years since that the organization has made the group stages of a major. So really, honestly, recent recent times, Fnatic, you know, forget forget that dynasty that you you associate with that name. It's it's been pretty disappointing. And my question to you two is, do you think? That you know, Fnatic are just kind of phoning in the the, the CS:GO region uh, of of their organization. Like, what's going on there? I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you, Thor, and talk to me about Fnatic CS:GO. I do sort of feel like they like ha- I can't tell if it's that they haven't put like their attentions on it, or they're actually just sort of like letting it sit in limbo and they're just looking at some other thing and they're going to look back again. I mean, now they've failed the major qualification. Now, in theory, they've got a couple of months, actually. Like, in theory, this could be the breather while they figure out what they're doing with League, which people might not know. There's, they're one of the teams involved with mid-season moves that might happen. Obviously, they have other games. Right now, in Valorant, arguably, their Valorant team's more important. They're supposed to be one of the top European teams. They had a situation where they had two stand-ins. So, I do get the vibe, personally, that it feels like the CSGO team's at the bottom of the hierarchy, which is mad, because, as you say, like, one for me, especially coming from Counter-Strike, like, Counter-Strike is the game I think of with Fnatic. Like, and it's not just Counter Strike, it's Swedish Counter Strike. They were the ones who essentially usurped. Like, once upon a time, if people don't know, SK Gaming was the Swedish org you thought about in Counter Strike. Nobody thinks about that now. In fact, I always say, like, that's the success of some of these teams. Like, they replaced the other one culturally. So, to me, the idea that, like, as you say, like, they haven't really been like a top team for basically when since we went online in 2020, their team just fell apart and became not very relevant. They had a brief period, if you remember a few episodes back early this year, end of last year, where they had the smoothie lineup, had some potential. But even then, it never got like the big placings offline. So the problem is, like, it's actually pretty mediocre, the results they've had in the last years. And the most disturbing thing is they've kicked all the veterans and let them just leave, with the exception of Crims. And then the one piece they had to build around, which was Brawlan, they've essentially misplayed their hand. And so whereas in League of Legends, they also, in my opinion, misplayed their hand when they let Reckless walk out the door. He was, again, the player you build your whole org around. The difference is they got lucky in a couple of zigs and zag moves later and they managed to end up again with a really strong roster but in CSGO their problem right now is this as an org they're not an org that's known to have the most money so they're not attracting tons of people they did until recently have a Swedish only focus which limits who you can get they've in theory gone international but no one knows if that endures and then thirdly they don't anymore unfortunately have like a, a big name they don't have like in the past it would be like Olaf Meister or JW or something they don't have the, the reckless or Sang type player that people will come to your team to play with anymore. Now they're just another team. So unfortunately, I get the vibe that because I don't, th- I actually don't think right now they have a plan for their CSGO team. I think if you look at the way they cut Smuya, but at the same time, you'd ha- if they knew, they should have already known they were losing their star player, which meant you could have gone a different route. That implies to me they're just reacting to each of the moves. They never had like a big game board. They're just taking one move themselves. Like, oh, fuck, but I have to do this. Oh, shit, I didn't know about that. What, he has to sit out? Like, oh, but then I wouldn't have. And it's I think they're just too late. So to me, it, it either smacks of just raw incompetence, which I won't totally take off the table, or I would just suggest, like I said, when I sort of ran down the other games, I think at the moment they're sort of like spinning plates, and at the moment the CS one's the one that doesn't matter if it sort of goes off the rails. It's 
especially now they've failed to qualify for the major because, like I say, it sort of gives you a couple of months. You can sort of put that on the back burner and go figure that out in the summer, heading towards qualification for the next major. What about you, Rich? What are your thoughts on Fnatic CSGO? Yeah, I think this one's pretty interesting because we sort of covered this a little bit on previous episodes. And the last time we talked about it was basically they're at a juncture now where we'll find out, like, are they phoning it in? Is there a big plan? And we were sort of contrasting it with NIP and, you know, the trajectory that that squad looked like it might be going in and basically speculating about what sort of path that Fnatic would take. So I actually think this is pretty interesting. What I would say is I think at least for the purposes of this major sort of just got on, not the major just gone, but this, this uh, you know, disappointing failure to get to the group stage of this major, kind of by definition, they at least phoned that in because they went into the tournament with two stand-ins. Yes. So to, to me, by definition, you phoned that in because if you wanted to have a serious, like if you're making a serious push to be some kind of contender or make some noise in this major, you don't go into the tournament with stand-ins. And as we covered last time, it's not like they had no time to get any kind of replacements lined up or whatever. A significant period of time has passed since then. So I do think, at least recently, they have kind of been phoning it in. And the other point of comparison I would make to suggest, as sort of Thorin alluded to earlier, where they may have their priorities um, sort of placed more so in Valorant and uh, League, for example, is if you look at what they did in League last off-season and how they prioritise it and the kind of moves they made. And again, this is something that Thorin kind of talked about historically, where previously they weren't always going for the big names and they were actually still trying to find the rookies and the diamond in the rough, which isn't necessarily behaving like a big team always does. Like it's not G2's approach typically oh. until arguably reflects this offseason or whatever. But for the first time in ages, basically since the Peke lineup, they actually went out and acquired the big name players, oh, yeah. including paying a fat buyouts for Humanoid and Wonder. And then obviously Razork, another huge name. They got him for free, but that's three massive names that they went out and collected for their League of Legends team. All the while, this stuff we've been talking about with their Counter-Strike team has been going on in the background. Okay, nothing's been going on in the background, basically. They kicked Smuya, they uh, sold Brolan, and they haven't replaced them with anything other than a couple of fairly unimpressive-looking stand-ins, if we're honest. So I do feel like Fnatic's phoning it in. I think that if Fnatic didn't have such a storied uh, history in the game, they might actually have been approaching the point where saying, not that we're you know leaving Counter-Strike and never coming back, but I think they might actually put something out saying, we're taking a break from Counter-Strike. I think the only reason they're not is because of the yeah, amount of stock. Line. Yeah, the amount of stock they've built up in the game and the history that they have. Like going, Fnatic leaving Counter-Strike would be like a huge oh, bombshell story. But to me, they basically have left it, essentially, at yes. least, you know, they're just cruising right now. And we'll see what happens over the next couple of months. But I really do feel like they basically chucked it on the back burner. One other final point I'd make on this is um, Adam Fitch, a journalist, put out an article this week talking about overactive media. For those who don't know, that's a company that owns MAD. Um, and obviously they've had teams in CSGO, League of Legends, uh, some of the other buy-in franchises. And he reported their losses. Um, and while there's not like a line-by-line -line itemization, it's been known for like the last however long that Counter-Strike is one of the games which has really poor ROI at the moment in yes. terms of what the player salaries are versus what the teams are getting back. 
And I do suspect that one of the reasons they focus, for example, heavily in their League of Legends team uh, last split versus their, their Counter-Strike team now is they basically sat down, looked at it, and not that their League of Legends team is going to make them loads of money or something, but it's probably something where they are reaping more rewards than they are currently in Counter-Strike, especially because they it's not like they were on the precipice of winning and just falling short. They were basically a tier two team, if we're honest, for like the last however long. So I think they probably made the decision. And by the way, being a tier two Counter-Strike team is like worst. one of the worst yes. possible things you it's can do It's the worst of all business. worlds in the yeah. circuit. Yeah. As long as, if, at least if you're constantly competing for majors and the top prize money yes. and you're at the front of, you know, getting the biggest viewership on the on the streams and so on, you are able to generate decent revenue and, you know, the stickers and all the rest of it. But if you're a tier two team and you're not even com uh, contesting these tournaments, you are still paying, by the way, a large percentage of what those salaries are for some of the top tier teams and you're getting almost nothing in return so yeah i do feel like they're phoning it in and i think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do in the next couple of months because if this continues for too much longer then i think serious questions are going to be asked and they will basically be forced to go in one one of two directions which is either well we are actually going to have to announce that we're piecing out a counter-strike for a little bit or they're going to have to make some serious moves because it's not like there's some banger free agents just lying around now. Like that, that window's passed. Um, and maybe I guess they thought that they could, you know, potentially have done something with that. Or, you know, we're fanatic. Yes, we don't pay the most, but we're still going to get some big names and big free agents. Maybe they played out that scenario and it didn't work out for them. But yeah, some uh, questions need answering in, in the next couple of months for sure. This way, if I was a fan, I would definitely feel they checked out. Because if I'm following their social media, I'm seeing the fucking CEO, I don't even know if that's his title anymore, founder of the company, going onto a Discord to have, like, direct communication with fucking League of Legends mentally ill fans. But then if I'm in CSGO, they still haven't even told you, like, what their plans are. Like, who are they building around? Like, what is it going to be? Is the team going to be on? So you don't know anything in those games. So, like, just the disparity and sort of, like, how much messaging they're doing to the public is crazy. And I definitely agree with rich there's even a very cynical just purely margins based reason that you would focus on league which is as bds just showed you worst case scenario you can just sell the fucking spot for more money than you've ever put in league of legends that's a fucking amazing sort of insurance policy to have behind all the shit you're doing now in csgo every dollar you spend now feels to a fan like it contributes to that legacy of the great teams it doesn't it just creates a new thing right in this moment now you don't get any there's no implied value from the past there's no value to the future there's no franchise leagues so actually in csgo right now unfortunately you're going to see this from a lot of orgs as rich said he nailed it one thing i found myself was i went out there when i was doing some consulting with a bunch of orgs some public some private and i went and i found out all the salaries and all the buyouts you could get in csgo right and what i realized was exactly what rich is saying the price point is dog shit outside of contenders or complete rookies because if they're complete rookies you get them very cheap because you're gambling if they're contenders you pay out of your ass, but you definitely get a really good team. Anything in between is death. It is just roulette that doesn't make sense. Because what happens is you and about 40 other orgs are all trying to have the 8th best team. Usually you pay the 6th best money, and then you end up with the 17th best team. And then loads of you are in that spot. And even worse in CSGO, because it's so bloody region-locked, like country-based and stuff, you don't even have the same like like manoeuvrability you have in the other games. In League of Legends, anyone who speaks English can be in your team. It wasn't until recently, this year, well, end of last year, that Fnatic even went non-Swedish. So, yeah, unfortunately, there's even a reason if you're a fan. It sucks to be a fan in that sense, but, like, the business reality in CS, it doesn't incentivize a team like Fnatic to go ham in, unless 
they had Broland still and they had Crims and then they could have gotten like a big, unless they essentially could have gone for a top five team. This, in my opinion, is just going to be the min-max team. Like you probably stick around with the fucking academy team. You hope you strike gold once or twice. You maybe see if Alex knows some like cheap players that he wants to play with or a free agent that doesn't cost a buyout. But like realistically, this doesn't look like a team that, I, this is not a project. This is like the end of a project. Yeah, and also like even sorry, even with like the stand-ins, it kind of they kind of look like half-ass stand-ins. Like remember back in the day, if you're like a top uh, contending team, then you know you'd bring in I don't know someone like Alu or really like, good, yeah. yeah, really good or like Cadian, like these players who were kind of like mercenary style uh, kind of players that sort of hovered around sort of tier one, tier two teams all the time, but because of other issues, you know, sometimes didn't always have a permanent home. But even the stand-ins they've been sort of bringing in periodically have not been of that caliber at all they're kind of just like the best worst free agents that are sort of available so yeah i think they have they haven't even sort of signaled that they're really trying in that sense to be honest do you do you think this has implications for the csgo scene as a whole because now that you know if, if you've, you've got a direct competitor now with csgo with, with the valent scene kind of growing and emerging um if, if you're if it's as kind of un un um unprofitable yeah thank you as as you as you guys are describing then you know it's not a franchise league and as a as a as a as a viewer like i love that i love the fact that you just get tournaments people qualify for it and and all that stuff i miss the days of league of legends where uh, you had the iems and uh, and stuff like that um but there is financial stability like from a business standpoint it makes a lot of sense to have these franchise leagues and and with csgo lacking it like you know even even a team that is let's say that maybe one of those tier one teams or a team that is benefiting uh, at the top who, who who who's you know paying a lot but getting a decent return on their investment, who's to say that's going to last? You know, where's that stability? So do you think that has some kind of you know we might be seeing some something happening in the CS:GO scene that might I don't know just do you, do you think that anything's going to happen with that that changes as as esports grows and becomes more basically like, will will the bubble burst again in CS:GO essentially? Yeah. Yeah. The problem is this. One is the emerging region in CSGO, unironically, was the fucking CIS region of like Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan. Like, like that was the region that we were getting all these talents coming out of. So unfortunately, essentially, we were that was where we essentially we were replacing the talent that went from NA to Valorant with people from Eastern Europe. And now looks like they might not be part of any game right now. So that already cuts out the legs. And then to me, put it this way, behind the scenes, Fox Drop, it is known that there will be a franchise league in League of Legends. It will probably have uh, Valorant rather. It will probably have the big League of Legends orgs, as you can imagine. So I even personally think this is a pure speculation on my part i even personally think if you look at the way they currently run the circuit in valorant it's like they're trying to run a worst of all worlds like this is what happens when you have sort of an open circuit but not really so you only get to go to a tournament every three months but you have to play my like it's almost like they're trying to persuade people see it's shit when you have open circuit. come to my franchise league and then they're doing this thing where what they do is like if you don't know in valorant na gets three spots at each of these major tournaments so even when NA was the best region, three spots. If Europe's the best region, you get three or four spots. But like, you don't get... So it's almost like they're even also, I think personally, running this circuit. So that even huge orgs, when you don't qualify, you have like a fucking scarcity vibe. Like, oh shit, I better get on this franchise league. Fuck, like this, oh, what am I doing? And it's just like, that's just the most genius play to get everyone to go a bidding war for the eight spots in the league or whatever. So I think personally, like it will benefit in some ways. Like these sorts of orgs, essentially, funnily enough, Fnatic shouldn't be in the mix because they have always re-upped in CS. But actually the overactive 
alternative medias of the world, the Johnny Come Latelys, these fuckwits will just go into Valorant instead of CS Go. That seems inevitable to me. I actually think the real esports orgs, like the reason there'll always be a reason to be in CSGO is because it's the only game, along with Dota, but even more so than Dota, because it doesn't have the same structure Valve put. It's the only game where it, like, the upside is it's the Wild West. It's also the downside, but it's the upside too. Like You can just go and find a team. This happened with the Gambit team. You could go and find five players, almost no one's heard of, and they could become the best team in the world. You can't do that in League of Legends. It doesn't exist unless maybe you're Korean and you already have the inside track on some talent. So to me, it's inevitable. Like Valorant will benefit in certain business regards guards in this sense i just don't expect it to be overwhelming i think it's more people who only care about the bottom line are going to go do you agree with that rich just real quick before we move on i know this is yeah kind of i mean i'm i'm, con- I'm a bit concerned with like the future of, of csgo from a, a business perspective because as i said i think it's kind of like even though there's the general esports bubble there's also an individual CSGO bubble where the numbers of salaries versus return like really don't make sense. Um, unless there's some sort of crazy uh, collective bargaining thing involving like how they re-divvy up like um, sort of sticker money and like how they can maybe expand on that kind of thing or whatever to kind of make it more uh, make it uh, make more sense. Then, like that's yeah. probably also never coming because the other thing as well, which is actually, by the way, the reason why, in my opinion, all those other orgs love franchise orgs it's the only way you get the bloody game dev to the table if you're yeah. a team org otherwise if you haven't noticed the vibe from game devs in every other game that isn't team org focused is fuck team orgs we deal with the players like they've said it, it's basically been their mo and daughter and csgo the whole time so also you're never going to get them to do you a favor like everyone wants rich everyone just wants things like let me have a fanatic skin or let me have you know they won't give you that yeah. shit mate they won't do it, but, it and like. by the way what really worth saying is just a more holistic point we're using obviously you know, CSGO as a point of comparison to other games, it's not Sunshine and Ra- uh, Rainbows and the other games either. Like, even though League of Legends is franchise, not just from my own experience, but I can tell you now, like, post-franchising, it's still a massive issue. And they have a seat at the table. They have a literal seat at yes. the table. And by the way, spoiler alert, I won't go into details because I'm sure we'll talk about it on, on future episodes. Even LEC, which is doing way better than LCS... Uh, people are still looking to sell their slots, by the way, because they realize that it's actually just not even worth it, even with all the benefits that we've already talked about in comparison to CSGO. So just franchising is not like a, you know, cure-all button you can just press. And even these teams that end up buying into Valorant or whatever, yeah, sure, it might make a bit more sense than it would to be in Counter-Strike. But again, spoiler alert, there are still next to no profitable teams who are making their profits as a direct result from being involved in these franchise leagues. And again, to make it very clear, this is not franchise league good, open circuit bad, or, you know, all of these leagues are fucked at the moment. Like, I mean, just think about most franchise leagues. Most franchise leagues, because again, League of Legends is one game. Look at Overwatch. Look at Call of Duty. These are the worst of the worst of the worst of esports, right? So franchising is not its not as, as simple as just, you know, franchise CSGO. Like, that will have its own massive set of problems. And you, you also lose the essence of what's still great about CSGO from a sort of tournament perspective. Well, let's move on then to talking a bit more about Valorant and uh, the controversies that have been uh, surrounding the Valorant scene recently, obviously uh, completely focusing on uh, on Sinatra, the, the, the big hotshot player, who huge personality as well. Uh, it was about a year ago that uh, he was banned from competitive play and basically shunned out of the scene for sexual assault uh, allegations. And... 
since then, you know, since since his suspension uh, from Rye, you know, he's been he's been he's been hiding away and and kind of disappeared. But he has shown back up now, uh, and Rye, you know, having having served his suspension, and you know, Sinatra having posted uh, on his Twitter that he got an email saying basically, yo, you're free to compete again. You're all good to go. Everything's fine. Uh, Rye then posted a another. A follow-up statement to that saying actually that's not true Sinatra still needs to go through some conduct training and and uh, all that all that malarkey and basically there's just like a, a huge kind of controversy here because there's, there's, there's so many angles to this you know riot of games not being not being a legal body just being the game should they be judged during executioner all that kind of stuff and uh the fact that it's it's just it sh- should Sinatra be even allowed to, to continue to compete? Does that responsibility fall on organization shoulders, etc.? That kind of thing. Um, I just wanna I want to hear you guys' thoughts in general about the whole Sinatra situation, his potential return to pro play, and those implications uh, on the Valorant scene. I'll start with you first, Rich. Uh, yeah. So I'll just say, like out of the gates. I have no idea what Sinatra is guilty of or not guilty of. I think there's probably very few people on the planet who have that answer, and I'm certainly not one of them. So I'm just going to put that completely to one side for a minute because I think the fact that I don't know is 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 relevant to this, right? Um, you know, in principle, I think banning someone, because remember, Sinatra was not banned because he was found guilty of any misconduct in regards to the, the sexual assault allegations. He was banned because he didn't, fully cooperate with the investigation but as Thorin pointed out to me a while back part of that not being cooperative was Riot Games yes Riot Games not the police Riot Games wanted him to hand over a sex tape as part of this cooperation and obviously Sinatra if we are to believe or we are even to assume as the courts would uh would have us do that he is innocent is basically in his head being like what they want to they want me to hand over a sex tape between me and my ex-girlfriend. He's not even thinking, again, presuming he's innocent, that, you know, I'm handing over some red-hot evidence smoking gun here. He's thinking, no, I'm literally giving them a video of me having sex with my girlfriend. And yeah, I'm not very comfortable doing that. If the police want it, well, you know, that's a different situation entirely. But riot fucking games want to watch me having sex with my girlfriend, in essence, right? So that... Again, I'm not saying that's the only thing that he didn't comply with. I don't know to what extent he didn't, but that was definitely part of it. So we can sort of empathise on that level why that might be a difficult thing for him to want to do. So that's that's important to point out as well. As for Riot's statement, which I think is worth focusing on here, I really don't get it. I mean, just to sort of quote directly from it, they say, John Needham, by the way, who covers not just Valorant, but also he's head of uh, League of Legends in Europe. I, I don't know what else he covers. He might just be their global head now. He says... The training, and this is again in reference to the course that he basically has to do to be allowed to compete again. The training will focus on conducting oneself as a professional, complying with rules and regulations, and complying with investigations. Now, as far as I can see, based on all the back and forth that's happened so far, only the last part is even remotely relevant. This idea of focusing on oneself as a if he's innocent or well he's not been proven to be guilty what is this like they want to have their cake and eat it when i read this they're basically they put out a statement which is super vague deliberately vague 
to satisfy as many people as possible. Because obviously you've got loads of people who are just like, he's a rapist, he should never play again. You've got other people who are like, I definitely know he's innocent, even though I possibly couldn't know that, and he should never have even been banned in the first place. And then everything in between, right? So they basically want to put something out that's super vague, which basically implies that actually he is kind of somewhat guilty without ex explicitly saying that he is guilty. And that this training thing isn't just saying you have to comply with investigation. It's also implying that he yeah, basically needs to up his game from as a professional and fix his conduct. So I think that's very strange and also just completely out of place. Now, in terms of like getting into... Oh, by the way, they also tack on at the end uh, that because the allegations are so serious, they're implying that because of the, the severity of these allegations that they riot need to internally review how to deal with such things in the future. Which, again, is completely irrelevant if the guy's innocent and just been the victim of, you know, uh, a false claim. So it's I think it's a really disgusting thing to put out there because it does imply that he is guilty. When, as far as I know, again, he could be guilty. I have no clue. But so far as they know, apart from anything else, because the guy himself, it, it, you know, disrupted their investigation, right? So as far as they know, as far as I know... He is not guilty or we do not know him to be guilty. So to put something out there which really vaguely implies that he is guilty of something beyond just not cooperating, I think is disgusting and irresponsible. And I think that is just, yeah, a step too far, as I said. Um, in terms of, again, getting into the, the nitty gritty of like, should, should Riot play like judge, jury and executioner? As I said at the start, I think Riot are completely entitled to perform their own internal investigation when it's something like this. And basically in Valorant, obviously, because the IP is controlled by Riot, who are incredibly uh, tight with that control. It's not like they've outsourced this to loads of different tournaments and said, you know, ESL, if you want to run events, then, you know, do your own investigation, blah, blah, blah. Because it is so tight knit, again, I think it's completely fine that they would conduct their own investigation. But that does not mean that they can put statements out like this, which again barring a successful investigation, which didn't happen, essentially, implies that he is in some way guilty beyond just not cooperating. I think that is grossly irresponsible, even though, as I said, I think the in principle, um, even banning someone because they don't cooperate is fine. But under these circumstances, and given everything that we know, this is a complete shambles, in my opinion. Oh, I, I think it's a shit show from top to bottom, mate. Because as you, first of all, as you said, nobody knows whether he is innocent or guilty. But one thing I've noticed is the same thing Rich pointed out. The trend seems to be just assume he's guilty. And not only that, assume it and then act as if it was the fact. And in fact, people not only are taking their own assumption and making it a fact, but if you then even say... Where's an innocent until proven? That means you want him to be innocent and that you deny he's guilty. Like they've made this whole like almost like fucking morality built into like how you observe the case in a way that's totally inappropriate to, by the way, just the core values of like Western civilization. Like everything that people hold dear, since in theory people were just like savages or whatever the fuck. So that I think that whole thing's mental because there's so many people in esports. It's one thing I would understand if someone who actually had like a direct relationship with the girl believes the girl in her case and therefore feels like, well, I don't think they'd lie. And so I believe the case, right? The one thing I find disturbing in Mitt Rich is there just seem to be loads of people, women, women and men, but a lot of women especially, who just seem to be triggered by like 
essentially the existential existence of sexual harassment or the fact that it happens in the world or that, for example, maybe people have gone to the police in the past and then nothing happened because you see people quoting or something. But in 48% of cases, no, that's irrelevant. It's in this case, did he do it or not? Uh, he isn't here, by the way, as some sort of avatar of men to represent all crimes men have done against everyone in the human history. But that's almost how this case is being treated in esports as, because I get the same vibe you're talking about now rich like the way this was phrased by riot to me was to as carefully as possible seem like you know what guys the police can't get this guy but we're going to get him on the loophole we got al capone on his taxes we're getting this guy because he didn't help with the. so don't worry he will be punished he's just had all that time off the game where he couldn't compete now we're going to fuck with him a bit more make him jump through some hoops remember we don't know if he's innocent or guilty so we'll make it feel like we're giving you guys your pound of flesh but if it turns out later he is found not guilty by court and we'd be in deep shit if we said he was we'll make sure we never say anything that could ever be taken and then fuck with us in the future so we'll make it, as you say, as vague as possible. Don't even make it that it's about the thing he supposedly did. Make it that this entire thing was about how he cooperated or didn't with a riot investigation. Now, my problem comes to this point. I'm with you. It is entirely within the prerogative of Riot to say, if you want to compete within our league, which is the equivalent to an NFL or an NBA, like we can't just let you do it and wait for the court case that could take years. We want to sort of know in the short term, like how likely is it that you maybe were really involved with the situation? How likely is it that it's a nonsense case? In which case we can decide how we deal with you. The problem I have is this, Rich. One of the reasons why I know the NFL's investigation is going to be nailed on like a motherfucker is because they're going to get the most expensive lawyers and investigators in the world because they are primarily doing it also to avoid getting their fucking asses taken to court and in some way implicate that they were involved in it or that the team and the PR shit. So the problem is this, Riot Games isn't in that position and has shown no sign whatsoever to me that they have a legitimate squad of people who do investigations. Like, like, who does the investigations and how do they do it? In a case like this, by the way, where it is essentially, as far as I can tell, one person's word against another's, but with the implication that one of them has a recording, I don't know actually what your investigation was beyond... After each party has said their statement, can we see the video? If he says no, that's the end of the investigation. Essentially, you just vote. Do you believe the woman or not? If you don't, then you can't do anything. By the way, that, based on the investigation, is what is implied they said. Or you believe them and then you punish them and you'd have to carry the can yourself. Because again, the part people aren't thinking about is this. If they ban him and say he did it based on them believing this story, if he is found not guilty in some sort of a court case, that's just lawsuit city right there. That's when he can literally, I'm talking about quite literally, this would be one of the rare cases ever where you can actually have a defamation case in esports. Because what you could prove, provably, is that they denied you your possibility to make an income in your livelihood. And it would be in this case on the basis of hearsay. It would be on the basis of something that would not have held up in court. So right in that scenario, by the way, I'm talking that would be millions of dollars in a lawsuit potentially. Like, So they have to be very careful in this situation, at least if they care mainly about their bottom line. I think they're doing a, mi a mixture of looking after themselves and saying we did everything we could so, and you can like, then it's up to the police to figure out. And then the other part is they are trying, it seems, to court and flirt with the element who essentially want revenge, who's the sort of mob with the pitchforks. By the way, whether they did it or not, 
The point is, you don't know. You are just the mindless mob with the pitchfork. That could actually be a real fucking monster, but you don't know that. You've just heard a rumour, and you're going, well, everyone get together. Where, where are we going to kill him now? Like, you're a fool no matter whether he's guilty or not. So I find the whole thing so distasteful, especially because in this scenario, right, he's one of the few people ever that I've seen that could actually elevate this beyond just hearsay. Now it's not just like, do you believe the testimony of the person, and can you pick any holes in it? It's, it's, is there a video? That is the part that I find so weird because, again, people who are against Sinatra think it's totally reasonable he would send in that sex tape to Riot Games. Right? You're out your fucking mind. First of all, on a case like this, I can tell you as someone who worked for 20 years in esports as a journalist, this would definitely be leaked. It would be leaked, by the way, just if anything in it made him look at all bad. Even if it wouldn't have been in court get you found guilty. They'd leak it just to absolve themselves so that then all, the, all these little cunts could all go, see, I knew he did it. And then essentially the societal repercussions would be what would fuck this guy, not any sort of a court case. So unfortunately, I find that whole thing totally distasteful. Again, think about it from his perspective. This is what you must do if you are going to assess this case. You have to ask if you were him and you were actually innocent... Why would you need to show someone a video? You don't have to. Remember, you will never have to prove innocence. They have to prove guilt. I've made this point a million times, but fans don't know. It's not just something they say in movies. When you go into a court, at least in the UK and the USA, the, the judge will instruct the jury. Do, it's not if you think he might have done it. It's not if you think he's a bad guy. You must, without beyond reasonable doubt, I think is the usual phrasing, believe he is guilty. And it has to be on every charge, by the way. Otherwise, it's only certain charges. Got so I don't think people know again because they've seen too many movies. They think like it's all about like if you really did it, it'll definitely be caught. It's such a complicated area, and unfortunately, as usual, every fucker that has none of the information has the strongest possible conclusion and answer. If you notice, like the more I think about it, the more I think it's very difficult to even have a fucking solid position you can only really fully enough have a position on existential questions like what societally should we do with people if there's enough implications you know you can't really get to the bottom of this case and i'm, I'm just amazed a bit saddened that so many people are just they just know already it's, just, it's almost like a, a religious belief they just know if this guy's guilty or not but you know the worst thing the, to me the worst thing about this is this could have been a situation where for riot it's like damned if you do damned if you don't like oh my god like we think he probably oh and the backlash they had a free hit on this a free hit because as it turned out even though the idea of like you know uh sending a a, a tape or whatever is uh, of course like <laughs> raises more questions and answers they could have just said and if i'm them and i'm their pr guy i'd be like package it in a way where you imply even if you know uh th th it was just the tape thing you could still you could just construct conversations where this guy came across as a bit uncooperative just put something out blanketly which says this guy wasn't cooperative and that's what the band's for and then don't touch anything else don't touch anything else and then you get to have your cake and eat it because people can speculate till the cows come home about well they wouldn't have banned him for six months surely just on that or what it doesn't matter don't even respond to them just let them th believe whatever they want to believe and the official ban is that he was banned for not cooperating with the investigation don't even allude that the thing that's disgusting about this is they thought that wasn't enough and they felt that they had to allude to the fact that he was maybe kind of sort of guilty in other areas, but then not obviously go into any detail because, you know, that's that's the ultimate coward's way out. You suggest that, oh, well, you know, it could be more to it than you... And then not say anything. Like, fuck off. That's ridiculous. Just stick to the fact 
that he apparently wasn't cooperative or whatever. Make that as vague as you want because that's going to help you. Because if you say he wasn't cooperative because he wouldn't give us his sex tape, that doesn't look good. Just put out a blanket statement saying he did not cooperate with the investigation. And that is at least factually true on some level, even if it's a bit, you know, weird and controversial. And then be consistent with that. Don't even... Don't even imply anything else about well also he needs to learn how to act as a human like fuck off no just ridiculous so that to me is the most egregious thing you actually had a free hit where you could have had your cake and eat it but you felt that you had to appease the mob so badly that you just weaseled in these little ratty phrases that basically defame the guy's image and that's a joke to me i think I'll this also is... just say one other thing that should be added in because people forget it just take a macro zoom out a second guys why would Riot Games Why would Riot Games in 2020 be in any moral position to be investigating anyone about sexual harassment? Look in the fucking mirror for a second, will you? That's unreal, mate. I can't even believe they have that little self-awareness, mate. Like, at a minimum, mate, at least for the next couple of years, I'd outsource it. You know, I'd hire a firm who does this. I wouldn't bloody do it myself. But that is, by the way, if people don't get it, you'll see this repeat in Riot Games. They can commit any sin, and one second later, they just look in a mirror, absolve themselves of all their sins, and they're back to the moral high ground. They never, ever take a fucking reputational hit. It's mental. I don't know why, by the way. This is the craziest thing to me, Rich. There's people who were really mad about this, like I said, who are women in the esports industry, and they feel this is an injustice and a travesty, but they're not mad at Riot for that part at all. They think for real that him sending Riot their sex tape would have solved this whole thing. I don't think they get that it never would have solved any of it. Like, that was never the fucking, like, uh, if I use the term smoking gunny, take it wrong, but it was never the, it was never going to be the game changer if Riot saw that video or not, you know? I currently have a dog that is huffing next to me, so apologies if you can hear that in my mind. You couldn't hear it, it's all right. Cool. Um, I think the whole, the, the issue with the whole thing is like, it's kind of like a lose-lose, honestly, for everyone involved. Um, Riot Games are put under pressure to, you know, do something, to take some kind of action, right? And yeah. not just sit back and let it all happen. So, and so they, they found a way to make, to, to, to do that, which was not, nothing to do with the allegations themselves, but to do with the, the, the investigation surrounding the allegations. Uh, and that's what he was banned for, as you mentioned, Rich. Like, he wasn't banned for doing anything wrong, necessarily, from a moral standpoint. By the way, if he hadn't have been suspended for that, there would actually have been an absolute shitstorm. Like, esports right. would have burned down completely. So Essentially, if, just, if he was right. just playing the very next games right after that, like, yeah. it, it would be mental, the backlash. Exactly. Like, I think and Ryan knew that. You know, Ryan knew they yeah, had to yeah. do something, so they, they found something to nail him on. And maybe they even asked him something. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too surprised if if if, if they were... You know, un unrealistic in their demands of him, so they could nail him for something. You know, just 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 say face in that sense. Yeah, sure. Uh, but also, it's if I'll give you an example of what you're talking about. In the case oh. where Monty had that scenario where they claimed like he no longer like qualified to own Renegades and he was going to get banned, I believe exactly what you're saying is something they did. They did something mad, like tell it, like say something, like oh, here's like the what we're going to do, and then just like release their shit like two hours later, like before you've had a chance to like mm. review a document or maybe even ask like similar thing, like send all this stuff in by tomorrow or like some like mad and reasonable time frame but it's cut so that like as as you're saying you could just say the person didn't cooperate to this degree or you know they could like there's there's plenty of ways you can finagle it for sure yeah but it's just it's just that i think this is this is a this is a 
indication of something that's bigger than esports is the whole sexual harassment thing and so, and, and societal injustice and stuff. With I mean, it's uh, you mentioned, Rich. Um, sorry, you mentioned Thorin, that you were you you know. However, like there's a large large percentage of 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 sexual assault cases that don't go reported, and of that, how many actually get like pursued, and then how many end up in a conviction? These kind of things, like that, the number is staggeringly low. I mean, by 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 definition, unfortunately, it is a crime that usually people do not have evidence for. Right. Like, there's a whole problem with that scenario where even people who essentially do think uh, in the moment they've been raped famously often don't go, unfortunately, for societal right. reasons and get the kit and get the testing and the DNA. So, unfortunately, it's the definition, unfortunately, of a hearsay case. You have to choose who you believe. And if you know the way that that tends to work, at least in the UK, I can only speak to the UK court system. That actually, for real, is old-fashioned. It's based on sort of reputation. Like they'll actually say in the court case, like this is a person of upstanding who's never committed a crime. So mm-hmm. these are the things that's supposed to count in your favor, believe it or not. Even though it's a bit of an antiquated idea. Yeah, and that, that and that's that's the issue is like people trying to find justice for 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 where they feel like there's a lack of justice, you know, in the actual justice sure. system. And so it's like it's just it's just such a it's such a hot topic. It's so it's so tough to deal with. And I'm not going to sit here and say like, I mean, I was I just feel like I don't even really have an opinion. You know, like what what it's just. It, I, I don't know what to do about it. I really don't. Like, I feel like the whole thing is just really difficult to deal with from, from every perspective. Man, here's the reason I think everyone gets caught in the mud on this. It's because, like, as we said at the very top, especially in this case where there's no, like, hard evidence that proves, like, one thing or the other. And remember, it would be based on a jury saying that anyway, not me or you. We're not the expert, right? Where there isn't hard evidence, the problem is... Even thinking about it becomes like infuriating because your brain just goes in circles, doesn't it? You can never sort of find an out where you get a conclusion. So the problem I've noticed is what people actually do is I'll give you, an, I'll tie it into esports again here, fans. So when I had that scenario last year where I exposed that a bunch of Team Liquid players, spoiler, most of them wanted jack the fuck out and thought he knew nothing about League of Legends and was an asshole to work with. How is that being treated by fans? Because they'll never have evidence either way, Foxtrop, as to whether I was telling the truth and the players were or whether Jack's telling the truth. What they do instead is they try actually a fucked up version of what I was just mentioning in UK court. They try and figure out whose reputation is the shittiest. So what they'll say is they'll go, well, Thorin just makes up anything on his shows. Or they'll go, ah, but Alfari got called out by Jensen. And their logic goes for real. Like they think that's tipping the scales on the original case. So they think if enough bad things about Alfari come out, then actually like... History's changed and it, he was Jack was innocent all along. Even though to me it's like, what the fuck non sequitur is that? What connection would Alfari being a douchebag have to do with Jack suddenly not doing what he did? So same scenario. Like in this scenario, I get the vibe. A lot of people they're looking for like something he said wrong or something that was done this way. Like they're just trying to trying to find something that makes it feel more clear that he's a bad guy. Because if he's a bad guy, you can just in your mind go, well, he probably did it anyway. Like, but but we're never, this is the really bad thing. We're never, I don't think people get it. We'll never make any progress on this case. The case as it is now, you're going to have to just live with that is what happened. However it was. And the best case scenario is you might get a result from a court. Thing, but even then you won't get most of the documents and stuff so you'll never really know like it will just be a mystery i'm afraid which is the tragedy yeah. of these scenarios and he's returning to professional play it sounds like that all, all things are pointing he definitely will that. be he was too good a player you have to realize he was genuinely like one of the best players in the game at one point he was considered the best and uh, he was uh, a an overwatch as well so he's definitely coming back do you think he's i was gonna what do you what do you think from like an organization's perspective about picking him up you know, I don't it's know what Rich thinks on this because obviously Rich used to be in an org. Yeah. So what do you think as, on as it? A, as a as a as a previous org owner, like getting a player like Sinatra has has massive brand value, quality player as well. 
but has this kind of baggage, so to speak, of 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 what's going on and and not knowing. Like, do you would you feel responsibility in in and of yourself to like? I don't want to say do an investigation of your own before you hire him or something like that, but you know what I mean? Like, that, that, there's there's obviously more to it. There's more layers there. Like, what, what would your thoughts be around actually, like, getting him on, onto your team? So, the first thing is, I would do my own investigation. Like, absolutely. I'm not necessarily going into that thinking I'm going to find a result that someone else didn't. In fact, I'm expecting the opposite. I'm expecting to find absolutely nothing. And that basically we're in this position that we're talking about, which is we don't know. But I would want to satisfy first that I did everything I could to know that that was the position. And once I'd established that that was the position, assuming it would be the case, there's a difference between me working as an organization owner, like all powerful uh, sort of a, a single person and having people that I am responsible for or whatever. And by that, I don't mean that my what I want to do would be any different. But just to give you a real life example... There are loads of things that I wanted to say and do when I was the CEO, both the CEO and the uh, CGO, depending on, on which part of time uh, it was in H2K, that I did not do and was not able to do because of the people that I was working with. And by the way, that's no shade on them, but this, this American group who I was partnered with in my opinion, they were actually incredibly moral people, very transparent, really great people. They were the whole reason I worked with them in the first place. But they had certain sort of um, corporate ideas or like they would they would always err on the side of caution when it came to stuff like this. They were, vet, for example, when it came to like gaming houses or whatever, if there was like some uh, team like house party or something that was going on, it was always never at our place, never at our place. The liability is way too much. If someone want, was like wanted to even bring their girlfriend in the house whatever it was like no, no no absolutely not i don't care if they've dated for five years they can go to a hotel they can do whatever they can go to her place it does not happen on our property the liability yes. is just too much they had this very hardcore american caution attitude to this which by the way i think because dealing with the the, the companies that they deal with on the day to day these huge companies you have to have rules like this because you yes. can't just micromanage a few individuals and know that everything's going to be fine because you know them on a personal level and you can trust them so they applied that attitude to esports as well which was completely alien to me and i obviously was sort of much more like boots on the ground like trying to sort of be um not saying they weren't personable, but trying to be sort of more anti-corporate, I guess. But I muzzled myself, essentially. Like, when I was working for H2K, they were like, we know that, you know, we mean well, we agree with 90% of what you're saying online or whatever, but we just don't want you to say it because we want to be in complete control of all these things without having to micromanage it. So, as an individual, I would hire Sinatra because in, I'm, I feel like, as an individual, I am very consistent with my personal ethical and moral code and I do believe in innocent until proven guilty and I believe that I would be doing him and myself a disservice if I treated that guy any differently than if he hadn't been accused. Accused, not found guilty. Imagine if he was found not guilty years later. Yeah, exactly. Accused, again, not found guilty. If he's found guilty, obviously, then we go down the the, the chart of what happens. But no, if, if someone is accused of something and there is no evidence or hardcore conclusive evidence to suggest that they are guilty, then I would treat them like anyone else. And him being a very good player and a big brand, all the rest of it, yeah, no brainer. I would sign him and I would do that knowing there would be some backlash. But as long as I'm consistent... 
if I'm not a consistent person, then I might have to be doing some sort of retroactive, like trying to change my brand, you know, myself. And maybe if I've been embroiled in something horrible previously, then maybe I go the squeaky clean route and not hire him just to sort of try and my get myself back on side. But I don't feel that I would need to do that. I feel it would be very consistent with my character to just hire the guy. So if I was the sole decision maker, I would absolutely hire him. And I would just tell anyone who had a problem with that to fuck off or... Better yet, DM me with this hardcore evidence that you have that this guy's guilty. And then, you know what? I give you my word. If you provide me with said evidence, he'll be out the door the next day. So I would give that open invitation. But yeah, I, I, would, have, I would have zero hesitation acting as an individual to hire him. By the way, I even think if you're an org and you're just thinking purely of your, how your own org rep is going to be in the short term before we know what happens with any police proceedings or court cases, one thing I would do personally is I would do my own investigation, but I would investigate this, Rich. I would try and find out, are there any stories from people who do not have a direct connection behind the scenes that imply this is a pattern of behaviour? Because here's the thing, in one case I might not know, but if I find that totally separate and without knowing I'm doing this, three or four people have a similar a story now i can at least even just go well the likelihood maybe i'll weigh on the side of that's different in this case if it again remember the problem here is everyone is judging without information and the worst thing is the tiny bit of information they have because that's all they got they think is, is enough to make a decision off so the problem is without knowing if there's any track if this is really just one person that's a very very it's by definition the hardest possible case essentially to figure out which side you come down on it so i don't even think by the way people like riot or t-walks could ever get to the bottom of that themselves anyway so i think the best you can do is like Riches. You do your bit. You do it for your own conscience, by the way, just to know. Because actually, I think he made a very shrewd point that a lot of people will miss is they never stop to actually think of the person's innocent. That's how you know the person's biased, by the way. They don't even allow for the possibility that the person didn't do the crime. But if they didn't do the crime, think about what an outrageous set of behaviours this would be. To suspend them, to make them go through fucking courses for things they never did, tell them you can't ever play a video. Like, what is this shit? Like, this is why people don't realise. that. That's why, in my opinion... When people are found guilty, they should get very strong sentences in that scenario. But it also should be, by definition, society, a sort of claim you only ever make in the most serious circumstances, knowing that you're putting people's lives and reputations at risk. Is there anything uh, you guys want to cut this off with before we move on? I think That's good. Well on that. you it's all good. Both good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Just in, in conclusion, like it is, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see like what's going to happen with like he, he only kind of, like came active on social media like a few weeks ago and, and already this is you know getting really heated and and i think it I is only a matter of time before actually someone actually hires him he made it worse for himself because he sort of almost like went out of his way to tell people that he didn't have to do that bloody stupid training like yeah. this guy isn't very smart like he really seemed to think by the way because like i just said in a court maybe he would be found innocent he doesn't know the difference between legal court and fucking court of public opinion like he, he handled this completely wrong like essentially even if unfortunately he's totally innocent he should actually have said have he, in a fucked up sense he actually had to come with some sort of a mayor culprit himself i think rich like i think he scuffed that himself. i don't know why he tried some weird legality like they've even said i don't have to do that thing like why would you say that publicly i don't that part i don't get me it makes me think this guy's questionable decision making yeah yeah well he's young he's esports oh he's like... very young yeah sure <laughs> i'm not expecting much from the from, from that point all right let's move on then to the to a slightly lighter topic here talk about some league of legends uh some lec news has come through uh recently the metaverse company infinite reality that just sounds like it sounds. It sounds like the the bad guys corporation from some kind of sci-fi film. Toy Story um, Five. <laughs> we got, they bought out uh, Rex uh, Rex Global in in a, in a deal worth almost half 
half half a billion that's 500 million right half a billion yeah yeah, yeah banging of half a billion half a billion lots of money basically lots of cheddar lots of cheese uh Rex global owns the the cod league team london royal ravens and uh and the lec team rogue so lots of money coming through their way amish shah of wrecked global said our strategy is not going to change it just keeps getting bigger we want to be a 10 20 30 billion dollar company whoever crafted that phrase but that <laughs> sentence is pure pr aids but okay keep going it's always gonna be laden with <laughs> pr um basically a lot of money's been pumped into their organization their their team and stuff like that and and i want to hear you guys thoughts on the implications of that uh, and also from from a grander scale like the european league of legends and lec has always really been the two big dogs of g2 and Fnatic. Is there room for that third one? You know, be, being rogue, having more money being pumped into them, and uh, and of course with their with their recent results, actually deserving of being that, that the consistency of, of 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 their good performances, not having yet won a title, but still being being a very solid squad. Like, does this do those two things combine here and make rogue actually like a big a big big name in in the LEC for for for, for the for the upcoming future? I. Uh, I'm going to go to Thorin first. What do you think? Do you think Rogue can be that, that that third big one? I actually do think this could be a big time move. Even though, as far as I know, Rogue already did have money. It just didn't seem like if you follow the games I do, like League and CSGO, because they were working with like the budget rosters or smaller teams and stuff. And as far as I know, it's in the it's in the other games I don't follow where they were a bigger org and people had like the Spectrum, etc. So I already thought like for me, I thought they were just putting the games a little bit lower down the totem pole, at least initially, when like, for example, your team is just an also running an AC, you're not gonna pump loads of money in. But I actually do get the vibe. If you look at how last year year went if people don't know the last off season of league of legends if every if every fucking coach and gm was the best possible in league rogue would be like the fifth best team now or the fourth best team like there's no universe where they should have been in position to have the best team again and to win but they did somehow by amazing scouting coaching choices who knows what but the problem is for me the last few years them and mad lions have just lived and died on the scouting and the coaching stuff like these people just they it's very rare you know, normally it's like, well, what do they do? And of course, these people have to be the ones doing it. They have to. If you look at who they've brought in, the way they brought them in, they've even made, by the way, loads of shrewd moves for players that weren't even very in, much in demand from other people. They were often actually picking people where they were sort of considered like, ah, maybe not on that one. Like, not like not that many people going hard for Larson or Trimby or fucking these, like, Malran. They weren't going, there was no massive bidding wars for these players. So the difference for me is this. As you saw with Mad Lions, when you're taking that approach, because you're relying so much on sort of knowing what someone else doesn't know, every now and then you're going to put your foot wrong and you're not going to get that play. You're going to end with just an average player who's just okay. You're going to be an also run. So to me, the big thing is this. I hope this does mean that they will now actually put proper money behind the League of Legends team. And for example, there won't be a signing of Oduamne to another team at the end of the year, or there won't be fucking Trimby is just on bloody fanatic next year. I hope that now they can keep their talent, build on their talent, and actually be the ones that, in the future, essentially, I hope they're the ones getting a, a, a humanoid type figure when they're available, not the ones who are like, sorry fans, we have to let the two best players go and hope we pull another fucking miracle at the back because you're only going to pull so many of those. You can't do that every season. So I actually think this probably is the move where they, they pro properly put themselves behind League. They should so do at least because if I look at all the leagues they're in, LEC seems like the best one mixed with. They've got a really good team. They're, they're this close. Like they could be the best Western org if they do the right job. Do you think if this move had happened last year, they would have kept inspired in Han Summer? 
Well, that would be the interesting thing because the other fact that you obviously have to shade in is players also have their own say in League of Legends. Mm-hmm. I know they shouldn't do if they're under contract necessarily, but that is the world we live in with public pressure. So uh, uh, the problem I have as well is this. I get the vibe, even if they'd had the money last season, it's too early. Like in people's brains, it's still like, but it's fanatic. Dude, it's Team Liquid. I have to, it's my dream to play for Team Liquid, Hans Sammer from France. But okay, they're all going to say that bullshit. What they really mean is it's my dream to have millions of dollars. Yeah, we get that, mate. We're fully aware of that. The difference is, you have to have a few years, I think, of being the people that pay the big box and sign the people before that. The re- I always say this, in esports, your reputation lags a couple of years behind you. So I think the problem they had is I think those players still would have left. Like, I think Hans Sama would still go to NA. I think Inspired would still go to NA. The difference is, like, I actually think in the future they'll be in position to maybe hold on to that player. Because the key thing is this. If you're Hans Sama, you also can't trust that they're... Like, for example, if you hear Inspired's leaving, well, then you're also... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't trust that they're bringing in someone instead of Inspired that could be as good, which should turn out they did. You can't know that. What are you thinking, Rich? Rogue is that as as potentially the third big name coming up here in LEC? I think the thing is, when you take Rogue, what they are and what they have been, and then add loads and loads and loads of money, in theory, on the success side, they should be like fully establishing themselves over the next couple of years as that third team who's always duking it out with Fnatic and G2. The problem or where where they I, I struggle to see where they're kind of going to close the gap is in fandom, right? Which is obviously really important in terms of like... I'll say they don't have any, dude. I've never seen yeah. a team with that many bloody LEC games. Like that. They don't even have foreign fans like Origin did. They have no. nothing. It's I mean, same for, Ma- <laughs> same for Mad, by the way. Like, where are the Mad fans? True, like, yeah. no one cares about these. They're all just humanoid fans, it turns out. They were yeah. all just humanoid fans. Exactly. So, like, I think that is a very hard... And, and the thing is, the way you have to look back at the, their two biggest competitors, right? Obviously, Fnatic and G2. Look at Fnatic. Fnatic basically had the huge advantage of being first movers and yes. also combining that with being highly successful because they were, like, the only team who was even paying their players back in the day. And those players happened to go on to be some of the greatest players of all time. Super iconic, Xpeke, uh, Soaz, and, you know, even people like Cyanide were, like, great characters and all the rest of it. So they had, like, the perfect storm for, like, the first five seasons of League of Legends. Then G2 came in, obviously, you know, Carlos as an owner, but incredibly charismatic, like, playing social media like a fiddle, um and you know bringing in someone like perks again huge personality and then when they started having more success someone like yankos again one of europe's like fan favorite guys so you have again two iconic legendary fan favorite players coupled with ludicrously sustained uh uh period of success which elevated them so now they're on fanatics level i would argue they're actually even gone past fanatic and to to reach that as rogue it's not just about like, oh, if they win the next two LEC titles, for example, they'll be there. You do kind of have to also bring along like the fans' imagination to like really establish yourself there because it also plays into the minds of like recruitment and being able to keep bringing in big players and stuff like that. I mean, I find it a bit sad, but in case people don't know, you know, this is public information or whatever, Reckless said one of the reasons he joined K Corp was because he really missed like the fans' uh, adulation, which you know is i mean i guess it's true i guess that's something that he really missed on fanatic is that he was absolutely lauded and he was a fan favorite and all the attention and everything like i do think for a lot of players they do want 
people to care about their team. As silly or as simple as that sounds. Like, if you're a rogue and you go and play Fnatic in the finals at um, whatever, Madison Square Garden, or better yet, somewhere in Europe, more realistically, and, you know, it's a 20,000-seater stadium, if eight, if you win, but 80% of the crowd were there hoping that Fnatic were going to win, that is a bit sad, in a way. That is a little bit sad. Like, your crowning moment, and there's a few golf claps, and there's, like... You know, oh, is that the rogue fan base? No, it's all your parents who you invited. Like, it is a little bit sad. So I do think that part has to come along. And I think there's only really two ways of achieving that. One is to just have incredibly charismatic, iconic players, of which they don't really have any apart from Oduwamne, I guess. It's like a bit of a personality, like people like him. And that's only really developed, to be honest, over the last couple of years. Like before then, it was like Oddo is good top laner, but no one really cared about him beyond that. And even in 2020, he wasn't like a star in the sense that the like no. fans didn't treat him like it. Yeah. No, so he, he's like a he's like a late bloomer when it comes to the sort of the branding side, for sure. But then they don't really have anyone else. Like Larson, very quiet, like cere cerebral guy within himself. Um, Comp and Trimby, you know, that apparently Trimby's brand is that he's super nice. Well, that's not really going to cut it when it comes to, you know, fandom so weird, or whatever. And then Maorang's obviously Korean. He has the play style to be like an iconic, you know, fan Dude, favorite. Even his social media, but, they're not leaning into it. Dude, yeah. he, he actually posts bants. Like, he'll yeah. he'll do that shit where he'll post the picture with like, here's my like dog toppling or whatever. <laughs> he'll be like, oh, do I am Like, what the fuck? Like, this guy actually, just, <laughs> he's like, if he was in G2, he'd be so huge right yeah. now. It'd be mental, wouldn't it? So that they do need to sort of do that to... to to bridge it along but i think this is really interesting because now everything went right for you you sold against the opinion yes. of everyone in the community you're two of your best players and everyone thought you were doomed but you managed to ride that wave replace them with really good options so you actually made money at least in the short term on yeah, that yeah. and managed to keep your relevancy now you have actually a huge amount of backing behind you you have to cash in now you figuratively right you have to snowball this into establishing yes. yourself as a third team because i do think there is room in europe for one more team to be sort of really big i don't despite how you know a hundred million player like the scene is genuinely not big enough to have 10 teams who all have massive yeah. fan bases it's just not it's just not but there is room for a third team and I do think Rogue could beat that team if they, if they play their cards right. But I do think it requires them to obviously stay very competitive and keep doing what they're doing. And it also, in my opinion, they need like one more sort of iconic player, I think, to kind of tip them over the edge where they actually have like a really solid fan base. Because the thing is, once you have that and you manage to uh, sort of build on that momentum for a while, you can reach a point where those players can even leave. You then get the fans so committed to the project as a whole that they forget the reason why they became fans in the first place and actually the brand becomes bigger than the fans. But the problem is, if you sign Perks, for example, like... Perks has, I'm sure, loads of Vitality fans have become Vitality fans this split. If Perks leaves next split, they all go with him. But they all go with him because Vitality hasn't done shit in terms of contesting yes. for championships or whatever. And all those people that came over were Perks fans. But if Perks hypothetically stayed there for three seasons and they won, let's say, three titles, you know, one each, each split or whatever in that time, and then he left, I guarantee you a huge chunk of those people who were originally there for Perks would stay and be like, cool, who's the next mid laner? So... They need to get that right, but I, I definitely think there's room for someone to step in there. Uh, and I do, because obviously, you know, uh, Thorin's talked about a lot before and how sort of overactive media operate. If you were saying who's going to be the team to do that and we're looking at sort of rogue or mad, like rogue clearly are in the best definitely position rogue. to do it. Yeah. yeah.
The other thing as well is, this is the reason why actually I was quite expansive on all the areas in which Fnatic can attack this problem is because there's actually an area I think I overlooked myself last year. People remember right after the spring split last year where they had to get rid of like self-made and then they made that crazy roster with the Bwipo role swap and then bringing in Rookie Adam. Like I actually thought for real... Oh, everyone's going to see what I'm seeing now. Because for me, by the way, that was the end of Fnatic. If all the other orgs and all the pro players paid attention, that was the sign that it's over. They're not going to get the big names. You have to, like, keep who you've got. They're losing them. They're lost reckless. Like, in that moment, if you had been a Misfits, if people don't know, people like Misfits have money. They just don't spend it in CSGO. They just get Deficio and go, like, work with a fucking 10 bob and get everything out of that. Like, they just rely on his ingenuity. These are the orgs that if they were cynical enough and they'd seen the way I had, that's the moment where you pounce. And you just sign the big players. You make the bidding wars. You make Fnatic have to go to the well and spend big fucking money. Instead, because what I didn't realise is pro players aren't like me. Pro players have a different perspective on the game. And to them, it's Fnatic, dude. Wow, I want to play with Hillisang. Oh my God, you can get wonder. Like, the things that impress players, it's pathetic. It's like a bloody flashy little bauble. Like, oh, what's that? Flashy in your pocket. Well, if you sign, I'll show you. Like, these play players don't think of the industry in the same way. So I actually think that was a missed opportunity by a lot of the rival teams. Like, that's why I'm amazed. That's why, by the way, after last off-season, even though Rogue turned it around, when I saw Rogue and Mad Lions, like I'm saying, in a moment where... If they use the money, Rich, they can become the G2 competitor. They both just said, nah, it's all right. You guys keep doing it and just gave all their players away. I thought that was mad to me. But again, it just shows that, like, as I say, the the reputation of who your org is lags behind a bit. It'll take a couple of years before they really know nothing. I feel kind of bad for Rogue as well, because as you guys were mentioning, like branding wise, I don't really see them as... I don't know, like, like you say, like, who, where, where are all their fans? Like, they don't have like a, any kind of rabid fan. What even base. is their angle? I don't even know myself. What is their sort of angle as to what our team is? You know, like, um, I don't get it. Because as far as I know, all the all the narratives are ones we all made about them being chokers and stuff. It's not, it's yeah. nothing from the org. Like, I don't even know what their sort of like how they create their identity. Like, what is it? Does I, anyone know? I don't, I don't know if I they have any. And I think this is this, but 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 what I was gonna say, I think this is kind of where I feel bad for Rogue is like. They peaked at a really bad time because they did it during COVID. Yes, but true. Pre-COVID, they were, you know, they, they were just starting to get good. You know, maybe yes. they had some good stuff under their belt. But during COVID, there'd be no offline events, no, you know, huge arenas filling out. That's where you start building your legacy and your brand, true. right? When you have these like huge crowds coming through and like you start performing. You know, in, in these, you're always showing up to like the finals. These these huge extravaganzas that have like crazy like intros and and like performances and stuff like that not just quick shots standing on the stage being like whoa it's the teams playing league of legends you know you had proper like proper yeah, yeah. opening ceremonies and stuff um and, and when you're consistently in the spotlight in, in in those situations that's you know that's great that's that, that that's just great and you, you have opportunities there to build your brand whether it is like just little things like like activations or whatever at the event itself that you can interact with 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 fans or you know like how uh Roma, who was um with yoel back in the day you know when they would make the big events and like he'd show up in a unicorn costume and like ripped his shit and like whatever like just little things like that and that's how you build your brand but you need a big spotlight to do it and that's you know that's where rogue had the potential because they were top three and during covid they've been great but they haven't had they haven't had the events and I, I think that's actually kind of kicking them in the arse a little bit like it definitely would have helped them and and i just i hope for their sake at least now the offline events are 
on the horizon we're starting to potentially see them obviously lcs is having uh i think it's houston's getting their lcs finals um maybe starting next year maybe even in the summer we'll see that for lec as well but you know i think that would that would benefit rogue as far as a, a branding perspective goes i think uh, they still they still moment. need an angle though like they still need like but maybe something. they'll find one do you know what i mean like yeah. maybe maybe it land maybe fucking larson walks out on stage and does like jumping jacks or something and everyone's like, Ooh, this is what Larson's i don't so yeah. you know, i'm not I don't joking know, but... the main thing in esports i really don't understand is i seem to have the totally opposite philosophy to everyone else the narratives come from what happens not the other way around you don't just decide like oh here's a great movie script i'll yeah. just crowbar that onto these players so i'll give you an example what i would for no no joke what i would lean into heavily is the fact that they've choked i would make it that like with a team no one wants to win the team no one thinks can win but that's how you do it dude you like you essentially you take the bad fucking momentum of that and you reverse it and make that your whole whole angle so that then by the way if you ever do win it'll be like the biggest fucking story in the universe like you've set yourself up for it whereas what every org does is the opposite rich they go well i'm scared of any negative pr so let's just deny all of our failures and stuff like that's just shit if you do that because if you do that by the way you're now all just trying to be well our rep is that we're the best yeah but you didn't win well we're trying to be the best like that's everyone else in the league that's everyone else in the league by the way that's where that's where um the whole like h2 what thing came from was actually we were on stage once and what one of our managers who was like an american guy he was like he was a nice guy, but he's like super corny. And he was like, come on, hands in, guys. And then Vanda was like, yeah. And kind of like mocking. He was like, yeah, hands in, guys. Like, let's do it. On on three, we do H2K. And then Vanda was like, no, no, on three, we do H2 what? And then we do H2K. And he started doing it. And then like the fans who were in the studio picked up on it and just started repeating right. him. They was going, H2 what? Yeah. H2K. And then we literally like turned the whole thing into like a YouTube series that had like shit loads of views or anything. And then every event we went to, like people started doing that. And obviously, again, yeah, it was kind of just sort of, not taking ourselves seriously but as you say it was just like an organic thing that happened and then you just like oh people like that and you all in on it i agree like contriving to be i mean this is a problem with uh, esports branding in general it's like who are we we're the warriors we're the gladiators who never give up. and it's like mm. unless your fucking top laner is pasha biceps mate why the fuck are you using that <laughs> as your branding like yeah. it doesn't make any sense like you've got a fucking skinny ginger mid laner like no no offense to last but you're like you're not gonna go you're not gonna all in on like the the whole warrior thing it's as you say like even that's a perfect example so again the reality of larson is he's just a skinny guy from sweden who's lost a bunch of matches but yeah. his other alternative is that whole thing of like he calls himself like the ginger god like you lean yeah. into that you make it silly you amplify how ridiculous that is you don't think it, that would make him like 10 times more popular of course Definitely. it would and again yeah. if people who are willing to like initial take an, some kind of initial like self-deprecation will always reap the rewards of that after yes, if, they, if they lean into it like absolutely. would do that instantly mate he'd, yeah. he'd have so many great fucking i mean he, that's that's him. otto's thing right like uh, yes. choke he's always like hashtag choke every game yeah exactly like, I, I think yeah. they should take that and run with it like team choke is yeah. great it's, it's exactly what happened with the, the casting team as well, slightly off topic, but with LEC, if you remember, like, honestly, from EULCS to, like, the first, like, first one or two years of LEC, no one really liked the casting. No one liked the casters either. Like, yes. like the, the branding of the actual production, like, it was always getting shit on, on Reddit and on social yep. media and stuff like that. And, and when Ender first joined as well, people didn't like him. They thought he was cringy. They thought he was, like, he he brought the the corny American vibe to a very European broadcast, 
uh, and then was stuck out like a sore thumb. And what do they do? Vedius is popular now. Why? Because he is cringe. But now he's cringe in a way that he's yeah, yeah. embraced it, and that's now his brand. Ender is literally the weird champ guy because everyone would spam weird champ in chat, not because they thought he was cool, quite the opposite. You know, they just didn't like him. So they were like, weird champ, like, get this fucking guy off my screen. And then he embraced it and it, it, he turned it into his own thing. And, uh, and to be fair, I don't, I don't know if Ender ever got the memo, to be fair. I think he's still, still trying to win, win probably... over fans of his fashion show. I think well, he's I'm... just there for the ride, been dragged right. along. I, yes, I Ender, remember. wear that outfit. It looks great, mate. Really? You, you don't think people are going to be. Nah, that's fine. It's fine. And then the whole production sort of, you know, buys into I, yeah. I'm not. I get your point. I agree I... completely, by the way. I think basically everyone other than Ender yeah, yeah. has bought in, but no, I, I, I agree. I also yeah. just insert my my regular joke wherever I'd see the interesting fashion choices was half of me thinks the only reason they brought Ender back is so they could actually get more use out of Foscoran's old wardrobe. There's <laughs> <laughs> no point just chucking in the charity bin, is there? So fair play to I... him. He's expressing himself in his own chosen way. Yeah, he definitely stands out at least. He's brave. Point. I'll give him that. Like no matter sure, yeah. no matter yeah. like all all jokes yeah, aside yeah. or whatever, like you could not pay me to wear the shit that that guy wears. And he, he wears it because he legitimately likes it, yeah, which yeah. is brave as fuck. He does it every yeah, time. So, yeah. Props, it's a huge juxtaposition to, to when he first joined, if you remember as well. Glasses, smart haircut, always wearing a suit, yes, look yeah. like Deficio's son. Like, crazy difference. Oh, but it's Cadrill's got that swag now, so he had <laughs> yeah. to, you know, move over yeah. and give him space. You know, that's Cadrill's yeah, current identity yeah. for one year. <laughs> anyway... Let's talk about some more League of Legends stuff, not just LEC Focus, because uh, even though LCS hasn't finished yet, I don't know. I, I suddenly thought about that. I was like, what the shit? Like, we're halfway through April, and we're still doing still doing a league. Um, and it feels like they started ages ago as well. I thought the LEC had a, had a long break between regular season and playoffs, and we finished, like, weeks ago. LEC is not done just... Uh, LCS is not done just yet. But either way, when it is done, we'll know who's going to MSI. Um, which is obviously mid-season invitational where the best teams from all the all the regions show up and, and just, you know, kind of battle it out. The best teams, the not necessarily bit. good teams, just to throw that one right, out. Right, the best teams of their regions will show up. Um, and, and there's always been a bit of controversy surrounding MSI specifically. It's almost like uh, being seen as a bit of a punishment. You do well regionally. Uh, and then instead of getting time off, <laughs> instead of being able to prepare for the next split, which is the important one, mind you, summer split, which is leading up to Worlds, you then have to uh, prepare for another tournament. Uh, you have to, to travel often as well, like across the world. It's, and it, it just makes it so these teams who are already working their asses off to be the best now have to work even harder for an extra event. Don't get the time off for the next event. And the, the MSI hangover is often very, very real for these teams at the start of summer split. And now that Riot has made it, that MSI actually has world slots implications as well. It's a, it's a big deal. Anyway, the reason why we're bringing up MSI today is because Cadrill mentioned uh, on his stream that he feels like uh, the winner of MSI should be automatically awarded a world spot. You know, and, and if the winner of MSI suddenly sucks during summer, it's not because they suck as a team, it's because they have burnout. Essentially, like I've been mentioning, there's too much shit going on uh, and they just can't keep up. Now, do you think this would be a, a good idea to make MSI mean a little bit more in that sense? Like if you are going to work these teams to the bone, at least give them that kind of uh, insurance package. Like, OK, sure, we've got you this extra tournament, uh, but if you win it, you will be going to Worlds so you can chill out during summer a little bit. Not 
strictly chill out but you know what i mean like they won't, you won't have that fire under your ass as well do you think that msi in general is like almost like a bad idea like the best teams having to work extra hard do you think that should just be be scrapped entirely i want to get your thoughts in general and specifically what cage was saying on stream too i'm going to start with uh with you rich what are your thoughts i do not think they should get a world slot and i think there's like a lot of different ways to look at this like i think what cadrell says might well be correct in that obviously he pointed at burnout and you know the fact that you have to play for ages on an old patch so then you have less time to prepare for the new split and then you're a little bit behind i'm not going to like use this analogy like oh because it's in sports that means it should be also in esports but you are basically in every facet of every competitive thing ever the more successful you are the deeper you go in one tournament or loads of different tournaments and that is a skill set in my opinion like avoiding burnout in my opinion is a skill set managing and juggling how you're gonna uh, sort of approach playing in multiple tournaments at the same time or just having to play for longer on older patches or whatever and then have less time to prepare i think you can legislate for all of these things and while i agree that it is a disadvantage going into summer initially you have to keep in mind that all you have to do if you're going to win it all is make the playoffs it's not like we're asking you to hit the ground running in summer and you have to start winning games immediately or whatever like if you cannot make playoffs in your region i guess china's like a slight exception because there are there is an added element if you of... win spring and you make last place in playoffs it, it gives you the points right i'm assuming it's the place yeah. how you qualify yes right so i i i it's I... exactly correct that you the last place in summer if you win spring does it always get to worlds i don't know the numbers on that myself uh I don't think so, right. but I think it, I think in reality, most likely yes. But I think it's like not guaranteed. Like, I think there's a hypotheticals which could maybe right. dislodge okay. you, but in reality, yes, you have a very very good Fair chance. Enough. So regardless, I I just don't I just don't think that I, I also think that MSI is basically the culmination of everything you've done in spring. And if Riot have done a good job, which they definitely don't always do with this, the metas should always be at least somewhat consistent and be, you know, maybe playing towards particular themes, whether that's like mages in mid or tanks top or whatever it is. Like the meta should at least have an element of consistency running through it. And then MSI is the culmination, the ultimate tournament that represents like who's been the best team in spring. So then to just say, because you were the best team in spring, we're going to assume you're definitely going to be one of the best teams in summer where the meta might be completely different, I think is a nonsense. The obvious counter argument to that is, well, you should have a similar meta all the way through the whole year. But realistically, that's never going to happen because the game will become way too stale for most casual fans and be like, fucking hell, another game of Ari versus Oriana, like all the way through the year, right? So if you can at least break that up into two separate things, and again, I think you can just fix this by having more than one team go to MSI from each region, making MSI a better, bigger tournament with like a double elimination system. It doesn't necessarily have to have the exact same format as Worlds, but just give it more uh, grandeur and give it a better format and organize, for example, you said LCS is still going on. Well, how about we fix and sync up some of these tournaments a bit better so that when teams come into MSI, this issue is at least somewhat mitigated so i think this is more of a scheduling issue than anything else and i think that msi is already a pretty big tournament and pretty prestigious tournament that winning it should be its own reward anyway but we can make this tournament even bigger and better by having it basically be a second world's 
And I don't think winning Worlds should qualify you for next year's Worlds or winning Worlds should qualify you for next year's MSI. And that's pure, the only difference there is the pure technicality that they're different seasons. Why, if I, qualify, if I win MSI and I get to qualify for Worlds, what's the difference between then me winning Worlds, which means I get to qualify for MSI? You're talking about the same span of time, more or less, between the two events, and it's a previous big international event. Well, if I win this one, I get to qualify for that one. Like, no, I think... I think that's a complete nonsense. So yeah. Well, in the off season, you often get big changes. I yeah, think sure. That, that for me, that would be the big difference between going from Worlds to MSI. Is like you get, you get, you know, from season ten to season eleven. Like there's there's bigger changes than from. Spring but that's to also a me that's also a meta thing as well, though, right? Like hypothetically, mm. the T1 team that exists now could exist player for player exactly the same in spring next year. There's nothing stopping them from doing that, or at least the situation is in everyone's hands to make that happen should they want it to happen. So while I agree it's less likely that you're going to have those differences between MSI and Worlds versus Worlds in the next season, I, 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 still don't, I still don't like it. And also this idea, he did give some good examples about teams that have won MSI and then performed very poorly afterwards. So there's definitely something to what he's saying. He gave like four different examples, which were definitely all uh, true and consistent. But to me... It's a pretty that, common pun. Yeah, to me, though, that just means there are other issues like scheduling which we can fix to make this much better rather than the conclusion being, ah, give them a world spot. Because I also think that as well, you could just have a very consistent system whereby a team just is better in spring than they are in summer. And I don't think we should be sending uh, teams that perform badly in summer into worlds. Enough, Thorin, what are your thoughts? The thing with this is, it's the difference between, like, what in principle do you think is the best and what in practical, pragmatic terms would you do? So the problem is, in principle, I don't think anyone should get any spot anywhere. I think you should have, like, a very robust qualification system and you should really, for Worlds, no joke, try and have it be... I mean, now it's not 16. I guess it's like 24 now or something. It should be, like, the t top 24 teams in the world in a perfect scenario. Spoiler, they already don't do that in League of Legends. Like, by the way, in League of Legends, I would never have this qualification system. Like, I have always thought one of the most fucked up parts of League of Legends is that if I am on a truly great LPL team, we can easily come fifth place in the playoffs. Meanwhile, if I am equally as good in Europe, it's hard not to qualify for Worlds. Like, if people can't see the obvious problem with that, that's a massive scenario because essentially it means it's better to be on a worse team that's in Europe than on a much better team just in the strongest region because you get punished for being in the strong region. So the problem I have is they already don't really play to my end anyway, which is just have, essentially, let if have a really good qualification system where if you just are the best, you get through. I, I could live and die with that. Problem is, if we're in the scoffed riot world where I only get two international tournaments anyway, I am sort of of swayed by Rich's argument that essentially I'll rephrase it like this if they actually properly did treat the year as if it was two mini seasons one is the first half which is the spring split going into MSI and that's the end of the story of that was the first part of the year then we start over second part of the year is what they're going to do in summer and that leads into worlds if that was distinct and you really put the proper importance on MSI you could do it as it is right now it's not the end of the world to me because all you'd say is spring results are different from summer and it doesn't matter that they won the spring league in the same way as it doesn't matter you won a past year like Rich says the problem is this just for 
practical reasons. Bearing in mind, it is almost certain the winner of MSI will be from LPL or LCK, and I want more teams in it. I would like them to have a spot anyway. I would even like the angle that I think even just because League of Legends is such a pleb game, where by definition at Worlds, most people don't know the majority of the teams. They only, only know their region. I think just thematically and to make the storylines easier, it's just cool if you have the winner of MSI there, even if they're bad. Because even if they're bad, you can even say the only reason they're here is because, of course, we have a champion's clause where they get to come. But even the outside chance they do something just on the WWE fun narrative angle is cool. Whereas, like, yeah, it's not. So essentially, I'm thinking of this like when I was doing my CSGO tournament in Flashpoint. Here's the difference. If I was designing the World Championship of CSGO, yes, I would, again, have an incredibly robust qualification system. And if you really are a bunch of nobodies from Bongfuck Nowhere and you can beat Na'Vi, you get to go to the major instead of them. But I'll tell you what, Rich, if I'm running my tournament and I have one spot left for my invites, and I can invite the 13th best team who are nobodies from Finland, or I can invite the 17th best team who have some of the most famous players of all time and a massive American fan base, I would choose the latter cynically for my tournament because it'll just make my tournament pop more. So I can sort of see both sides of this myself. I do think on the Cadrill angle, like I agree with you, I don't understand why he's asking Riot to fix a problem Riot created with the schedule instead of just fix the schedule. Because what he's saying there is like, yeah, but then the summer split, it's basically almost impossible to have a proper run up to it and get you on your fit. Yeah, that's a problem with the summer split, mate. That's a problem with MSI. Like, and he nailed it right there. Right, here's the problem. Because as he said, every year, this is the story. It's very rare, if people don't know, that a team ever wins MSI and is really dominant in their part of the... And their region in the first part of summer. So that actually implies to me, it's not about any region, it's actually the format that's flawed. And this fact that, like, I mean, it's true, the last few years were more scuff because it was COVID quarantines as well. But even then, if you remember, people used to be arriving back home, like, days before the next week began. This is one thing I've never understood about Riot. You have the whole year, you have 52 weeks, and you still can't put two eight or nine week splits, like, in there. And, like... This is like some fucking, like, you're like the fucking meme of the guy who's trying to fit the fucking, like, square thing into the circle hole. Like, you're a moron. Like, this isn't that hard to figure out. Like, you create that problem. You can wind it back and recreate the whole scene. There's loads of room in the year. You've just got to be a bit clever, in my opinion, about how you fix things in there. And by the way, I hope it goes without saying, get stuff like Rift Rivals and All-Stars the fuck yeah. out of the calendar if you've got these problems. You haven't even got your shit scared down yet. If you're ruining the tournament for people to win your international tournament, like... I know they didn't do this because we had 2020 and no one had a bloody MSI, but it was already being talked about, if you remember. Oh, sorry, they didn't. It was last year they didn't have MSI. No, it was 2020, didn't, right? It was already being talked about, if you remember, by top Western teams of like, maybe we just semi-phone in MSI. Maybe we don't put a lot of effort in because it just like scoppers our chances for making worlds and then doing anything while we're there. So I think they already, the scene was already sort of telling them the feedback, like we don't like the way this MSI tournament is set up and it's fucking us up. So I think Cadrill's, he has the right intentions, but I think it's just... He's come up with two sort of like a simplistic solution, in my opinion. Yeah. As someone who really appreciates... What do you do? What I do? I like international events and I like tournaments. I don't really like the whole league format that League of Legends has with the yeah, franchise same. league. Like, I think it, it it's, it's kind of just boring, honestly, if nothing else. Like, it's the same teams. It's you're watching... You know, like every week there's a bunch of games and it's like there's nothing interesting about it. Um, well, I mean, 
obviously there's some interest to it. But this like, is one me... area I feel like people are so lost in esports. You know, everyone always credits the game CS:GO for why it's so popular, dude. I don't mm. think it's even the game. Like, by the way, Quake was a hundred times better to watch than CS. The real reason is the tournaments. What mm. makes IEM Kalavitsa super hype is it's like fucking. Wimbledon, you sit down for two weeks and you watch the tournament. You get every day your excitement ramps up. You follow the storyline. It is. It's it's the formats, guys. It's tournament formats are what people crave in esports, plebs and hardcore. Like if you do league format, by the way, in CS:GO, it'll be just as boring. I guarantee you. But if you drag it out over months and months, mm-hmm. like it won't have the same charm. So I I've always thought like. I'm sure when you guys like look into the other games, like that's part of what makes them exciting. There's always something going on, you know. It's like, oh fuck, well, that, they just won a tournament last week. Like in league, you like you try telling a fan who's, you know, when when you have a mate who hasn't followed league in years, and they go, so what's going on with Fnatic? And you realise how boring it is. We start describing it like, well, you know, they were like undefeated first few weeks. Then, oh fuck, what even happened? And I guess they lost a couple of games. Or they lost a rogue, and then there was that. And then later on, but then in the playoffs, like, oh fucking, hell, I'm boring myself with this shit story. Like, who would want to listen to this? You talk about CS Go, mate, and I, oh, and then he came along and he had a standing. And then he won the final. It was the best of final. Like, fucking hell, this sounds amazing. I the, the the only reason I'm convinced of it is the reason to having these leagues is it's just business. It's just yes. business decisions. It's business yeah. stuff. Exactly. As many hours yep. like produced and watched as possible. But I've I've I, I, I saw a quite an interesting piece recently about um the, the, the whole kind of like workings of Twitch and um Okay. Kind of kind of the the uh like the projection of, of of viewership on Twitch, it's 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 leaning less towards uh, streamers who are putting. This isn't to do with like esports specifically. Okay. But streamers who put in all the hours, like who are just live twenty four seven, right? Um, are necessarily rewarded in the same ways. As that was the old meta, though, right? You had to do big, it all day every exactly. day. Exactly, right? you had to be on all the time, like twelve right. hours a day, like every day a week. Um, whereas now, like if you let's say let's say you know you average, I don't know. 10,000 viewers or whatever each time like some, if you're a big streamer and, and over a certain amount of time blah, 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 you get like I don't know let's say you get like 2 million uh, hours watched for every fucking oh my goodness I'm making up numbers off the top of my head every like 200 hours streamed or something like that right um, if you if you instead organized an event between like you, you know col- collaboration between you and other big streamers or whatever like that you only need to stream like you know three or four hours or five hours or however long this event actually lasts in and of itself uh you and that's it but the viewers are so high in that specific event that that's you know bam you've done it you know you've you, you've got more than two million hours right. watched you can also bring in sponsorships for the specific events yeah, as yeah. well and because it's that one event you're going to get like you know that's that's all sorted and there was an argument as to why, like nowadays, the way that Twitch is going, that that's 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 the way forward. Is that like, obviously collaboration has always been big on Twitch, but it's less about grinding the hours out and actually more about having specific things happening, oh, yeah. uh, specific events happening, and stuff like that. Uh, and so for me, I, I'm curious, like if these are the rumblings that are just happening on Twitch, whether or not you know a company a company like Riot Games will will think more about that because I I don't know whether with LCS. For example, um, with, with viewerships kind of maybe dwindling a little bit and not being as high as they have been in the past. If you do something like that to, to, to mix it up, you know, if you do throw in some more tournaments, because I, I, I would love to see it. I do think tournament uh, tournaments are, are, you know, more like specific events. Just imagine if like even I don't know whether like not having worlds as being a thing, but let's just say instead of like summer and spring split, you just have like. Two, two, two offline events around the world, right? In the place of where you would have the spring and summer split. Um, and then you, you know, you don't have the same teams there and stuff like that. This is where it gets murky with, with, with franchising and things like that as well. But like, 
how cool would that be? Like, I would absolutely watch. I would watch all those tournaments. Whereas now, I don't it, even. To me, the obvious one they should have done was Rift Rivals, but without the stupid Rift Rivals angle, it should have just been a LAN that was like the top five yeah. EU teams and the top five NA teams yeah, play yeah, each other, yeah. like an old MLG, and then you have the Koreans and the Chinese do the same thing, like they yep. did in their tournaments back in the day, and it would just be another tournament you follow. But the, the problem with Rift Rivals was that silly sort of like we're on, like Ryder Cup thing that we're on the same team. Like we're not. I fucking hate you yesterday <laughs> and tomorrow. Like you know, yeah. that I mean... angle was always what made it silly, wasn't it? I can give you some insight into sort of because obviously the mo the most controversial slash format that was ditched the fastest in Europe was when they switched to this two group model where there were yes. there were best of twos. So basically, either yes. someone wins two zero or you draw basically. And uh, this was obviously unpopular for a lot of reasons, but most people kind of misidentified the main reason being like oh, but Europeans uh, or Americans don't like draws. Like, that, that yeah. was not the issue at all. Like, obviously, the more games that you have, the greater the competitive integrity, right? Which even most fans can understand. The issue was that all you did is you, like, extended this idea that this team plays this team, then this team plays this team, and then you just added extra games to all of those ties, half of which you didn't even care about. Whereas even if it assumed the millisecond you turn something into a tournament format rather than a league format... Even two teams you don't give a flying fuck about, suddenly the matchup is interesting because winner plays team you care about. So you're, yeah. there's already like uh, degrees of, of connections between all the teams and every game matters. Obviously, people talk about like the old champions career format and stuff like this, but I definitely think you could have done. And one of the ERLs once upon a time did this really interesting like King of the Hill format, where basically like that every was the UK scene, yeah, yeah I think it was champions, yeah NLC yeah. or something. But it was a really cool format. Obviously, the sample size of the people who watch a UK scene is so small that you couldn't yeah, really get a you good. Know, fun fact: they called that. They called that the. Uh, I think it was. I can't remember. They they weren't allowed to call it King of the Hill because that's a sexist term. Oh. But right, right, changed it from <laughs> King of the Hill because it's a King of the Hill format. But King, it's implied, you know. I don't. Know. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> continue. Continue. I know I shared them of the that. hill. Rich rolls of the tongue. in the fucking walk era. All the rest of history, I could have been born in a fucking. Could have been a barbarian lopping off heads on a fucking field. I could have been a sneaky little thief. Good. Obviously, I'm just picking out all the games I like to. Thief stealing items and objects. Instead, I had to be born in the one where it's like. No one can define anything. Oh, get me out. I can't do this, boys. Get me out. No, but I, th I think and I think that kind of format where you incorporate, yeah, winner plays X and blah, blah, blah. Like, when everything's leading to... When you can have a regular season system, which is already leading to something you can visualise, then that's already a bonus. Like, I, I really... I used to really like, like, the little IEM colognes and stuff like that, even obviously they were smaller scale tournaments. Because when you saw the bracket... It was immediately yeah, you can see exactly, exactly the the yes. possible repercussions of who beats who and what have you. The other you thing, know, well, someone did based on the bracket. You can see like you should get to this point or he should lose. Yeah, it makes it all make sense. Yeah. Mate. And the other thing that I think is really underutilized, which again they utilize in IEM, is for some reason Riot really hates best of three. Now everyone I think is in agreement when it comes to like you know if it's a torn if it's a final of of you know LEC what best of five is like the ultimate test that will always be for finals or whatever. But again, you know you referenced Wimbledon before when you're sort of not having a sort of BO one regular season thing. But for example, my ideal world's qualification system would be that you basically every region gets assigned places based on 
you know, how strong they're deemed as a region. So let's say LPL gets three automatic qualifiers. Yes. LCS or LEC gets two automatic qualifiers. But then every team that's shown themselves to at least be semi-decent in that region, let's say every team that made playoffs, should go into a tournament like the, the old Dota 2 International qualifying yes. tournament and play against each other in best of threes because then yeah it's not perfect or whatever but at the same time as the fifth seed in lec you have not earned the right to prove yourself mm. over a best of five like that's not going to capture like the audience's imagination there's going to be too many games it's going to take too long it's going to be too rough on scheduling so for example if you're a six seed maybe you actually have to play some fucking bo1s to even be in contention and yeah that's less fair. But guess what? You were the sixth team. So actually, you know, you don't deserve to have like the ultimate test at that point. But I don't see why they can't stagger it up and have, you know, best of threes to separate the wheat from the chaff. And then the final of who's going to be the fifth team from LPL potentially, or not even from LPL, just from this whole qualifying tournament, right? You could hypothetically have the fourth and fifth LPL team play each other in the final in a best of five, right? I know it. One thing I want to throw in here before we leave this topic, just on the topic of like how you do international tournaments, formats like you all talk about. One thing I've always found really weird is because I essentially hate people, Rich, who they look at the inputs to their system. They look at the outputs that they don't like and go, don't like the output. Well, I won't change any of the inputs though. And then they wonder why it keeps happening, right? Because one thing I don't get is this. One of the fundamental concepts of how Riot designed their system is the American Super Bowl and the NFL. Their logic went, I want my whole season to lead into the ultimate moment of esports. And when it reaches that moment, the fever pitches at a height, the viewerships are high, the sponsorship dollars are high, and it's going to pay off, guys. It's going to be worth it. Don't worry. It'll, the payoff will be worth it. Because here's the problem, right? People can identify totally correct that in my native CSGO we went too far the other way and we made it that every week was like a world championship not really because it's not the major but you know if at the same time like the excitement of that week it's true if you just wait two weeks those teams are going to play in another big semi-final with a similar level of excitement here's where people I don't feel like actually either know both games or are fair right I'll acknowledge it does ruin some of the hype of those teams meeting but it still reaches a certain threshold each time they meet that I actually think is almost the same as a Worlds or an LEC playoffs that's the part that's been missold, is that you ever do get the fever pit. You don't. When World's Final happens, one second afterwards you go, fuck, I have to wait another year for that. It never satisfies. You don't go, well, bloody hell, I've had so much league this year and this final was so great. I'll take a whole month off league. You go, fuck, I have to wait three months for the start of the spring split. Like, that's the part. That's why I've always said the obvious model to me is Formula One. What you want is a tournament every month, but not all the whole month. You want it on a certain weekend or a week of that month. And you'd want people to tune in like the bloody UFC. You'd want all the core streamers to go, right, two weeks from now, we all come and we're all going to watch the Valorant tournament and then the LEC tournament. And then we're going to watch the CS goals. that is essentially even by the way to tie it into what Fox was in that's what esports is now it's all as many core streamer fuckers jump on the biggest bandwagon and the problem is LCS is never going to be that realistically you know it doesn't really opposite so I actually feel like that's the missold part is like you never really feel satisfied in the league system you know you always feel like oh, I never quite got I never yeah you don't even really know who the best is that's the worst part yeah, but that also you never get a, you never get this idea that a team becomes champion and then people, let's say a month and a half later, get to have a go at the champion because yes, all the fucking true. players leave in the off season, yes, don't yeah. they? It's like, yeah. oh, Rocks Tigers, they didn't win it this time, but people think maybe they're the best team in the world. Yeah, that team doesn't exist anymore. See you later. Yes. In fact, the org doesn't even exist anymore. Like, brilliant. Like, if, if, 
SKT, let's say SKT win uh, Worlds, MSI and Worlds, let's just say, then we never probably get to see that team again because the offers from China come in because they're the world champions yep. and like, let's say your best pieces. Sure, Faker will still be there, I guess. But that's about it. And you never get to have like the, this idea that you play yes. against the unbeaten champion yes. in like the ultimate test. It's it's never built up. And by definition, Agreed. that would be so much more hype. Like if you play the tournament sort of a third of the way through the season where there is a de facto champion, maybe they won it. Maybe they were a bit lucky. Maybe they were just showed a really good level. Well, let's find out. There's two same teams meet in the semifinals of the next big tournament. Oh, they've taken their belt. Brilliant. And then going into the main event, you have also, by the way, all these intertwining storylines about the tournaments that have happened over the year. The problem with MSI is it's only one team from each region. So especially yes. for Western fans who don't follow the LPL super closely or whatever, where there might be seven interesting teams, you don't even get to have the inner storylines of the LPL manifest in MSI because it's only one fucking team. The only tournament every year they ever could hypothetically meet is at the earliest stage, because they're from the same region, so they've been kept apart from each other anyway, is in the bloody knockout stage of the world. And that'll probably be the first and only time you get to see those two teams play as a Westerner the whole fucking year. It's insane. So, yeah, I don't know. I think Riot trying to mix, like, Riot recognizes that there's this desire for these international tournaments and not knowing that tournaments, it, it's a great format for esports, but also that they, they, they have this league system. Um, tr trying to kind of bring both around, and I think it's just a little bit too tough when when the league system itself is such a such a such a strong schedule, you know. And but I, I mean, I, I love the, the suggestions that Thor is saying, like F one format, UFC format, these kind of things, just having like high ticket events. Um, but would Riot ever do it? Because the way fan, I, I just don't, I just don't know whether they, they feel like economically, it's it's where it's at, and at the end of the day, esports is a business for them. So I'm. I'm I'm not expecting much different from the status quo, but I will admit, I feel like League of Legends esports, from a viewer's perspective, is underwhelming. Uh, and I think the benefits of franchising have benefited like the, the, the teams and, and the team owners potentially, and like the organizations, uh, maybe from like investment standpoints and stuff like that. But ultimately, you know, how does that translate into the health of the scene for, for, from a viewer standpoint? Does it, does it, you know, players are still doing whatever they want to do. It's the it's the rich teams with all the investments that are throwing things out. You got teams just phoning it in at the the bottoms of of the league. Like, I don't know. I don't think it necessarily makes League of Legends a better product. You know. And to that um, point as well, with like the bottom teams, and this is something Unicorns of Love always used to bring up in owner meetings, which I think was a great point. It's like you have to have at least some more frequent tournament style stuff, just so you can have the concept of storylines and upsetting which actually leads to like brand value because the thing is mm. if the bottom if sk beat rogue in a bo1 it's a top thread on reddit for 12 hours then it's gone yep. and like people forget if i asked you to remember what the, like the biggest three upsets were this season in the regular season you probably can't remember any of them i can remember one i remember that astralis beat rogue when rogue were undefeated that's it but I'm sure there were loads. I'm sure SK took games off Fnatic or oh, something. Yeah. But it doesn't mean anything. Whereas if the format had been this King of the Hill style or like career champions or anything where they'd actually got like a legitimate win in a game that mattered in of itself, then that team gets fans as a result of that potentially. Like the scene becomes more interesting. And again, you have the rivalry aspect. If you play, if Rogue played Astralis, 
week one and beat them, or let's say Astralis beat Rogue uh, week one next split, and then they play again in week 10, that's not a storyline. Like, oh, will Rogue get their revenge? Like, you think any of the Rogue players are thinking about that? that They do. They try and like... Yeah, they do. But no one cares. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, if Rogue... If that was the only game Rogue lost, and now they're 9-1, and you're 1-9, it's all the revenge game. Like, no. (laughs) Everyone's thinking their shit. They're good. It's a BO1. My favourite of all time was in the early days of EULCS, where they had so few storylines, because they had so few World Championships. They used to comment every time in the EULCS about how Fnatic were season one champions even though the joke is two players in Fnatic lost the season one championship to Fnatic so it was genius it was the most perfect way of showing how like they had nothing to work with and they were just like trying to just connect this to this to this and it's like it was barely there was nothing to work there was nothing to work with guys (laughs) anything else you guys want to talk about on the topic before we uh, we round things out we've been known for a while you good all right before we go though we do have uh a very exciting who wins oh section. one second um, as we're talking about lcs yeah. one moment does he have it oh. all right seeing as he was the loser of the of the forfeits for the last two wins um sorry made him buy a tsm jersey which was its own saga as he yeah that was good <laughs> that was an adventure in and of itself there it is there it is, there it is. Right. and okay. oh and on the what's back what's that on the back there we go okay that must be the longest Oh, you muted yourself. You muted yourself when you turned around. Ah, well, that must be the longest request they've ever had for a name on the back. And fittingly, probably the longest (laughs) it's ever taken to ship. So there you go. Yeah, fair play they actually did. One week per letter to to get that sorted. Did you you submit it censored or was that just them censoring it for you? No, I did actually submit it uh, like that. Yeah, I figured they'd probably just say like, no. I'm not doing that otherwise. All right, then. Is he going to get out of the country than fucking Peter Zhang? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a great look. So we're starting again, I guess. We're starting another yeah, round of who wins, another b- bunch of uh, forfeits. So hopefully, for Rich, he can get his revenge on Thorin, or uh, maybe Thorin can just pile it on. Uh, I don't know how you're going to beat the TSM jersey with five fucking on the back. But yeah, we'll figure it. But uh, I'll so... give you a spoiler. I'll give you a little hint. Probably going to be something fanatic related next. Excellent. Yeah, maybe you need to write like ground, a the obvious ground, you know, like a like a poem, or you like a like a serenade or a love. You know, song the the, the to, problem uh, is Matthews. like anything related to like Sam Matthew uh, for fanatic is so much worse because Sam Matthews exists and is a huge. That's true. And yeah. there's so many angles that can embody. Oh, it's actually and also proven. <laughs> We do. They're all like I said. The one rule is though there has to be like a sort of like a decency clause. Like it can't actually be like I, I can't actually make him write a whole thing about how like in good faith Sam Matthews is like the best order ever. Or something. <laughs> yeah, there has to be like an element where it's like it's still fun in some way. You but know? you know, as pro, as Sam proved though, the thing is like for example, I wrote on my uh, when I was ordering this TSM jersey, I requested that Reginald might sign it. Now obviously I know that okay. Reginald is never going to do that, no, and he's going to sort of distance himself from the whole thing. But as Sam has proved, he will answer and bow right. to okay. you know the commands of any random pleb on the internet so unfortunately if there is anything involving sam i already know he's down for it so <laughs> that's what i'm worried about that's why I, that's okay. why i can't lose there's levels there uh to start off this next round of uh, of who wins though uh, we're taking it to the lcs finals this weekend is uh, is finals weekend we have three teams evil geniuses 
Team Liquid and 100 Thieves. On Saturday, it's going to be that semi-final between uh, Team Liquid and Evil Geniuses. And whoever wins out of those two will play 100 Thieves in the grand finals to see who is the winner of the LCS Spring and who goes to MSI. So quite simply, guys, uh, I want to know who you think is going to take it all out of those three. Rich, who are you going for? So ultimately, I'm picking TL. Um, I do proudly say, by the way, that other than the first five games or so, and because fucking LCS season drags on for infinity, I did not watch a single regular season LCS game this split outside of like the first couple of weeks. Luckily, I don't think that actually makes a blind bit of difference because obviously playoffs are best of five and I get to see what's what by watching those games anyway. Um, the reason why I'm going to pick... TL and by the way I think both of these games have a very good chance of going five um I think when it comes to EG or the EG matchup I just don't think it's a good matchup for EG I feel like when it comes to sort of the where the game's going to be won on lost um I think it's going to be decided by Inspired's inability to exploit the weak link in my opinion, on TL, which is Santorin. I don't think Santorin's a bad jungler, but I do think that he is on a team where everyone else is better than him, and he is kind of like the residency piece that makes it all work in that sense, um, financially. Not that he makes the team tick or something. And obviously, I think Inspire's a better jungler, but the problem is, I went back actually and watched the their previous matchup as well, and I just don't think... I mean, it's just not Inspired's game to play, like, the early game get-your-lanes-ahead champions. His Nidalee was fucking horrible. He played Lee Sin twice and wasn't great, to be honest. And then what would you know? When he plays Graves, he's brilliant. He's amazing. He goes to his jungle. He farms for eternity. Gets ahead. And I'm sure he'll do that again if he gets, you know, a Graves or a Viego or something like that. But... The problem is, when you play against Team Liquid, I feel like you really have to go after Santorin and just get over this guy massively. Because if we look at the lanes, that's just not it. Like, you're just not going to win this series as EG going through the lanes. I think they've got too much talent, too much experience, and I think they're just going to outlast him. I think uh, Inspired will have a couple of games where he is able to get away with his farming, that his lanes don't get completely demolished, and he will just end up carrying a couple of games, perhaps, which is why I think it will go five. But I just think over five games, it's, I just don't feel like it's a good matchup. So I, I've got them beating EG. And then when it comes to 100 Thieves, um, I just feel that TL has too much pedigree for them. I, I Obviously, 100 Thieves have won an LCS title, of course. But again, that was during COVID, right? I'm not going to asterisk that. I think that would be monstrously unfair to be like, this is a less legitimate title because it was during COVID. But at the same time, they have not played a big final in front of a huge amount of fans um, like most of the players on this TL team have done. Um, so I do think that matters. And... Yeah, again, like it's not their fault that there was a pandemic or whatever, but I think these two teams are sufficiently well matched that I I just think that they're gonna be they're gonna play bigger on a big stage. Um, also, even though Hundred Thieves beat TL obviously um, in epic style, um, I don't think it's gonna be a scenario where we, you know we were speculating that that rogue reverse sweep of Fnatic like completely destroyed their soul, which it might have done, right? Because they we didn't see the matchup again or the rematch again, but we saw that they got completely demolished by G2, but then G2 demolished Rogue, and it's like, are we gonna do MMA maths here or not? But it did look like Fnatic were out of sorts as a result of that reverse sweep. I don't think that's gonna happen with this um, Team Liquid lineup. I think the fact that they played another series since and did well 
and also the fact that, again, the pedigree of the players on this team, I just don't think that... I think someone like Bwipo just doesn't care. Like, and I don't mean that in, like, a bad way necessarily, but they, they don't strike me as players who are, like, going to dwell on the facts that they got reverse-sweeped. I think they're just going to play no care. I think if they lose a the game, they're going to play no care. I don't necessarily know that to be true of 100 v So I think, again, five games. I'm predicting five games, EDG, TL. TL wins, and I'm EG. predicting... Oh, sorry, EG. You said EG. Yeah. And then uh, I'm predicting five games, Team Liquid over 100 thieves. All right, so Team Liquid take it all for you, Rich. What's your, okay. uh, what's your thoughts on Right, my problem is this. On paper, I usually actually do go for the best roster unless I have compelling reasons otherwise. But that's the point. Even though I think actually TL even entered the split and the playoffs with the best roster on paper, if you actually watch some of the games... Even TL, like the super team, has been fairly raw, believe it or not, despite all the games they won in the LCS. Like, this was actually the split where I think it is insanely egregious they gave Bjergsen the first all-mid. Like, I'm not joking, guys. If you didn't watch the LCS, he just got that shit because he was on Team Liquid and they finished first. Like, it's almost like the voters didn't even watch the games. Like, he was actually outperformed by people like Takui on FlyQuest, Georgia Pion on EG. These were better players. They really were. He just, he essentially, he was like a support mid later for most of the fucking split and a few games where he tried to carry a lot of them were not impressive and even in the playoffs that has continued like I have never in my entire time watching League of Legends seen Bjergsen worse and less impactful at League of Legends it's just that unlike many of the TSM teams early he has tons of help he has far and away the most talent and the best players and the best roles around him compared to any other player in the LCS so it's not impossible he even wins even in this form but the difference is this isn't like past years where actually you could always rely that Bjergsen is going to if possible hard carry series or games and he will always be a factor when he was on TSM you have to deal with you either need Jensen to outperform him you need double lift to just be a better player or you need to have the overall better team otherwise you know that Bjergsen's going to have one or two games in every best of five usually game five where he carries the game and that's why you're going to lose that Bjergsen isn't in the playoffs in fact it's even worse than that if you go and watch the fucking um, the 100 Thieves versus Team Liquid series holy shit people don't care about sports in esports like in the same way as everyone just literally did the men in black that humanoid choked away six games in a row and shit the bed violating all of that shit about how he's the most clutch that's all gone but it isn't because everyone's biased as fuck and for some reason he doesn't get blamed in the same way right I cannot believe people didn't even comment on this thing that Bjergsen did Bjergsen right allowed Abedage to end his base because Bjergsen just used the package and teleport to get slightly quicker to go to a dragon that he was never going to be able to take. That is insane from the most decorated player ever to play in the... That's like some rookie level shit. That's the stuff where if like Vethio did that, I'd go, understandable. He's only played two playoffs ever. I wouldn't be fucking up. This is mental. So if that's Bjergsen after the whole split, after play, and we're in like key games here. And remember, he's always been praised as a shot caller. I don't know why, because none of his teams, to my knowledge, have ever had world-class shot caller. I don't get what you guys love about this person. Like, I actually genuinely think the fans of Bjergsen are like Michael Jackson supporters, because you will actually just deny reality if it goes against what you wish to be true. It's fucking insane. So the problem I have is this. 100 things came into the playoffs looking a tiny bit ropey. If people don't know, it was going to be between TL and C9 when the playoffs began. But as Rich aptly said, 
Team Liquid's played two best of five series that went to four five games. They've played as many games now, pretty much almost, as they did in the whole bloody split. So to me, the actual playoffs of LCS is different from the split. You can forget everything from the split. In the playoffs, 100 Thieves does actually look like the best team. And the main reason is this. One, Abedagia was actually having a bit of an off split. And even in the playoffs, he's had a couple of shit games. But when he gets it together, he's just the best mid laner in the playoffs. So if he turns up for even a few of these games, he's going to win the final, in my opinion. Also, the crazy part is because 100 Thieves weren't a dominant team in the split, everyone's missed the best storyline, which is, you know, when they won the split last year and everyone was like, oh, and congrats to someday. So glad to sign to see him win. Like, you idiot. This is the one time when he sucks. That's not when it's cool he wins. It's cool when he wins when he was hard carrying them and they were shit. If he'd have won, then that would have been epic. The joke was the one time he was getting carried, he actually won. Well, if people haven't got the memo, he's really fucking good now. And he's good at exactly what someday was always the best at, which is impact style play. It's not the summit style, like I smashed the lane. It's you will never smash my lane. I will always pick whatever I want. I will take, you can have the counter pick. I can have the weak side and I will always do better than I should. And as a result, I think if you put look at their team overall, Maybe there's a world where the TL roster lives up to potential, but I haven't seen that potential yet. Like, they have really... They almost lost the EG series, for fuck's sake, and I don't think EG even has laners, in my opinion. So, I actually think, for real, in the final, I think it's going to be super messy, but I think 100 Thieves will win. I actually just think they're a better squad of players at the moment. They haven't got as many holes to me. And also, on the, the Santorin angle, I've bet on... Listen... Rogue tricked me. Santorin, you will never trick me again, son. I am never picking you to win fucking anything in a best of five final. That guy has let me down so many times. It's insane, Rich. You can change every teammate. He still does it. It's mental. So I'm sorry. Like, Closer is definitely a streaky player. He plays like exactly like you'd imagine from his pop-off games. But the difference is he has pop-off games where he carries. And mate, someone like Santorin, if you followed a lot of League of Legends, he is primed to get fucking opened up by a person like Closer in a key game and just ruin his whole mental. Like, it's just, it's just, the wrong player to play yeah, on that, that is you know. that is a <laughs> inspired i'm with you on that one it's a nightmare for him to play closer yeah that is that is a bad matchup admitted that is the chad versus the fucking virgin farmer <laughs> jungle ever meme isn't it like you know yeah yeah but no, i i just can't i cannot believe that thorin has popped off at the all pro first team mid laner bjergsen outrageous how dare you what? Here's the thing, mate. If he doesn't win the final, don't worry. I've need, I've saved all the best. For, I'll do a fucking amazing video. I'll be going ham. Don't worry. Don't even worry. Because all I'm going to tell you is this. If people don't know how insanely biased everyone is to Bjergsen, they even gave fucking Jensen in Season 7 Summer all first team mid lane and still gave Bjergsen the MVP. <laughs> so that means all the voters went, nah, he's not the best in his position, but he's the best in the league. It's like, ah, oh, get out my fucking mind. You can't, you can't keep doing this to me. You, should, you all should actually have to like pay some sort of fee for the torture you've put me through in these years. What's hilarious wow. is we've done two shows, obviously one our own award show, and then... A subsequent topic talking about the absurdities of some of the voting habits that have gone on in EU. It's not even worth doing a topic on the voting it in isn't. NA. It's just not worth no. it. Like just it's always a clown fiesta. Yeah, you just just have a look at have a look at the. Do they even do a ballot? I don't even know they do a ballot. But if they have a ballot, <laughs> just look at it and those jokes write themselves. You don't need us to spoon feed them to you. So yeah, it's just it's just laughable, really, isn't it? The idea, That's by the way, that... key, by the way, if you're a hardcore fan. That actually is enjoyable. When they release the PDF file, it's always on that like Amazon server or whatever the fuck. 
get that PDF every time. And it just shows you who voted for who. And every single time you will find some ones that are like, holy shit. Like people don't even report on this shit. Cause that's what she says. It's every single split. But like, there will always be some mental ones where people like intentionally troll vote or like the, the baddest, the maddest ones. This is just a trend. They don't even stop is just people just voting for their countrymen. That's just like accepted at this point in time. People are treating it like it's Eurovision for real. Like riot doesn't even seem to have a problem with that Rich. Like it's happened in an ear the whole time. And now it's happening in EU. Fucking hell. Fucking All right, so we got <laughs> bring it back a little bit here. We I got hundred thieves. He has TL. We got Thorin for hundred thieves. We got Rich for for TL. Since there's three of us and there's three teams, I'll pick EG. Then fuck it, we'll see what they can do. Um, oh, I'll give you one of the reasons as well. Here's the one last reason: is even though I hate to bring this up because idiot fans go way too far the other way. Also, the player on Team Liquid, in theory, who is like. The most impactful probably actually is fucking Bwipo. And Bwipo is also notorious for having that one bad game in the final where he just shits the bed. So I don't rely on that guy. There's my problem. I cannot rely on Bwipo. All right. And with that, that is going to do it for us here on Side Select. Looking forward to watching those finals and seeing who can get the, the heads up on the, on the who wins. Whether Rich is going to have to do another forfeit or whether we'll actually be able to get something onto, onto Thorin. Is By the way, I would, I would just add at the end, like we've been talking about like burnout earlier. As I said, I didn't even watch the regular season of LCS, but I genuinely feel like I'm burned out from watching playoffs. And like, by the way, there have been some like epic matchups or whatever, oh, yeah. but it just feels like, because again, it's like you have the, uh, because before the start of the EU playoffs, you had six teams who were all legitimately like, not necessarily contenders, but fun matchups, like games where like all the teams were like reasonably decent, whatever. We've obviously seen Korea, et cetera, which different storyline, but the idea that a team might go unbeaten without dropping a game, whatever. This, this LCS season's just gone on for too fucking long, man. Like, they have a trillion regular season games. The calendar extends beyond, like, all the other teams having finishing. And even though, as I said, there have been some, like, epic matchups and, you know, reverse sweeps and five-game series or whatever, I'm just less hyped on the series than I've, or these two potential series that I, I feel I should be just because of that. Like, and, you know, we've been talking about the importance of scheduling and burnout and fitting in other tournaments. I feel like this this is something that needs to be changed because I feel like I've had like the highs and the sort of the crescendo of watching like the LEC finals and career and stuff and I'm I'm just a bit bit bored of it at this point like for real. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about MSI like I'm not even think I I'm yep. not even thinking about this. Yeah, MSI will be coming around the corner soon though. Uh, anything you guys want to want to finish off with before we, we we're done here today going going once gone. Thank you so much for watching our episode, guys. I appreciate that. And we'll see you next time.